Hey, After Buzzers, before we move on to your next topic, we just want to say thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Plus, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Also, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. There's only a couple guys in the whole world that make me love pro wrestling, and you're one of them. You know all the bad shit you've heard about us, it's all true, but another thing that's true is we love professional wrestling, and that's why we're here. I'm not sports entertainer anymore. Talk to him, kid. This is our new beginning, and it starts tonight! A new day is dawning for DX. Well, who you're talking to? Welcome everybody to Xbox One Two Three Sixty. I'm your host, Sean Xbox Waltman. This week we have an amazing interview. It's pre-recorded, and uh, it's with the ROH World Champion, good friend of mine, known him for years, Christopher Daniels, the Fallen Angel. Yeah, man. Real. I was. What a great. What a great conversation we had with him. He came in studio, uh, and it's always. I, it's great having guests, but when when they're in studio. That makes, I, I mean, it's, you, you know, man. Feel, you can yeah. feel their energy. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. vibing off each other. Everything's flowing better. And uh, it was just really fun talking to Chris. It's fun talking to everyone. You know what I loved? How he, he messaged us before he came in. He was like, hey, you want me to bring the title belt? It's like, of course yes. bring the title belt, man. It's yeah, amazing, it's on man. The disc. It's going to look yeah. great. Yeah, he earned it. Might as well bring it. Yeah, mm-hmm. So, yeah, on the couch, we got Jimbo. What up, everybody? Over hey, here to my left, we got the beautiful TK Trinidad. Hi, guys. If you guys are just listening, you should tune in because she has a lovely The hair, style. yeah. You look <laughs> a little lovely different. every week. Channing, channeling some Naomi. And, oh, yeah? Uh, yes. Feeling the glow. Feeling She's feeling the glow. the glow. And the homie in the booth. We got Mark Donica. What's up, Mark? What's up, Sean? Happy to have you back. Happy oh, to be back for another week here. of X-Pac 1236. Really good to be here. <laughs> We've got Baby Lula in the bed yeah. on the floor. Yeah, it's Baby Lula at It's Baby Lula at on Instagram. Baby Lula. So, um, anyways, I uh, had a great weekend. Yeah, man. Uh, well, I mean, part like okay before the weekend started, I was, my the wild goose chase continues for me trying to get my stuff back Ugh. from L.A. County Jail system. Oh. I know where it's at now. Okay, I, I think I might have told you. I know where it's at now. Uh, the the arresting officer uh, was nice enough to call me and tell me where it was, uh, and so I I've been down there twice so far. Oh, boy. And both times when they said it was going to be open, it was closed. Uh, and, you know, you, when that happens, uh, well, see, it happened the night before I left for... Uh, ABW. For, yeah, for San Francisco for the big Cow Palace show. And so, you know, the whole time I'm trying to get, you know, so I have gear, wrestling gear to wrestle in. And um, uh, it just didn't happen. So, good thing I'm in shape and I can go without yeah, a shirt. <laughs> so, yeah. So, what was your next bet? When So, you went there once. Yeah. And it, it was a no-go. And yeah. you went back again yes. before they... So, you went twice before you could go wrestle. Yeah. To and try then and I went again gear. yesterday. And you went again yesterday? Yes. 
So oh, you've gone boy. there three times now, and you hundred dollar Uber trip. Oh my gosh! So every time? Uh, no, just that. Just oh, that time. Oh man! I was gonna just say so you spent three hundred dollars trying no, to get no, your gear no. back. No, Holy but um, anyways, great. Great! Uh, I want to. I just want to thank Marcus from APW up there. And Marcus what a, Mack. Yes, and what a great job they did on promoting that. And he was a little nervous, and you're going to be oh, when yeah. you when you uh, go all in on a big ass show like that as a promoter. But I, I was just like, don't worry, man. You did a great job on promoting, and uh, you put a hell of a card together, and people love the Cow Palace. And you know, okay, the place holds like twenty thousand. Oof. So, but there was three thousand people there, man, and That's still, huge. like, if you look at the pictures, you know, all like the the stands look empty when they, yeah. they were, but like the whole bowl was full. Yeah. So uh, three thousand people at an indie show—that's that's a huge draw. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, it was great to see. Dave Meltzer was there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't seen him in, since I, since we were in Japan in nineteen ninety one. What's wow. the reaction when wrestlers oh, are they happy to see him? Oh yeah, there's be uh, giving the. Uh, uh, purple people. Jeez, eater, what is that? Like a twelve pack? Kick. Yeah, look at this shredded. It's an eight or a ten. That's the shredded spin yeah. kick right there. <laughs> wow. I. <laughs> uh, anyways, I I saw Pat Patterson. It was great seeing Pat as always. Uh, Kevin Sullivan, who was a Bay Area legend, him and Bob Roop uh, had a main event in, in the Cow Palace. So did Marcus Mack bring all these people in because he was running in the Cow Palace, or were they just like, no, we're going to hang out, we'll be around, we're just going to show up? No, no, they all friends. came in, he brought them all in. Oh, nice. Yeah, and everyone was like either signing or wrestling or both. That's great. And um, so trying to think of who the hell else now. Yeah, tons of guys were there. You know, Morrison was there. Uh, yes, uh, I know. Uh, so Cody, Cody Rhodes, Joey and Joey Ryan had one hell of a cage match. It yeah, was, yeah, it was very good, man. I saw the superplex off the top. Yes, excellent. Yeah, that that cage was looking pretty shaky, and uh, Cody had to take a wide stance up there. But man, they did it. And then it, I saw a clip like Candice LeRae. Yeah, it was great. Showed she up, came in and there, ballplexed him, and, yep. and then. Cody's wife Brandy got involved. That's right. So it looked really fun. Really good. Nice finish. Very well laid out finish and just flowed nicely. The people were into it the whole time. Uh, and it was a late, it was a long night. Yeah. And they had the they had the rumble match that I was in. They had it on first. Really? Which was yeah. kind of weird. Yeah, that's interesting yeah. to uh, open the show with the rumble. Yeah, but it's fine. It was fine. It was fine. The fans enjoyed it. it yeah, sure. Um, damn, what else am I neglecting to... Uh, to say, ask me some questions about it, Jimbo. Well, I know I saw Sasha Blazer. She's a UFC fighter. She wrestled okay. Rays there. Yeah. How did she? Did you no. check out? No. No. Uh, the only matches I saw were uh, Mundo and oh crap. Did you wrestle Jeff Cobb? It was like Mundo and Cobb versus um, Cage and the, no, I think it was Mundo and another guy, Lester something that looked. Lesser kind of, the Legend? Yeah. Kind oh, of, from Reno Scum. Yeah, he has a... Crazy mohawk. Mohawk, yeah. Big chops. Yeah, so Reno Scum, it's usually Lester the Legend and Adam Thornstow is a tag team, but Adam Thornstow is injured right now, right. so I'm sure he's just trying to fill in gaps where he can. But I th- maybe they were supposed to wrestle as a team. So there was show. four guys, and they had a hell of a match. And it was Cage, uh, Jeff Cobb, uh, Lester, and uh, Johnny Mundo. And they killed it, man. It was the best match of the night. Better than the Cage match. Oh, actually, toss-up. Yeah? Yeah. 
And uh, okay, there's some cool, there's some cool uh, shots from yeah, some of the fans. Some fans. Yeah. So then you couldn't get your gear. Right. So what was somebody your next best option. Uh, Kevin Gill had somebody bring me an NWO shirt, and uh, then. While I was signing before the show, a dude had a really sweet brand new DX jersey, just the right size. And I'm like, hey, take that off. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I wore, it, I wore it out, you know, for my entrance. And then I, I came in the ring and did my stuff, you know, early on and fired up and ripped the shirt off and, you know, or the, the jersey, I mean. Did he so. get you to sign it for him or anything? Yeah, well, I don't think I signed it, but I took a picture with him with it. Yeah, and so. now it's going to be up on eBay, ring worn. <laughs> he can do what he wants with it. So, uh, Willie Mack was there. Yeah, Willie Jacob Mack. Fatu was there. Uh, Jody Christofferson, who I love. Yes, man, he, he, he broke so his neck. Good. What? Yeah, he was. He was. Um, he was there. He had his like sister with him or something, and like she was in a wheelchair. And he said his neck was broken and he needed surgery. Oh my god! He wasn't on the show. Holy shit. Yeah. Man, I saw him not too long ago. And Jungle Boy, Luke, Luke Perry's son that wrestles as Jungle Boy, he was there. And Luke Luke Perry was there. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so Luke Perry came into the dressing room and uh, and came up to, to Cody Rhodes and was just, you know, really excited to see Cody because uh, Luke Perry and, and Dusty were close. Uh, Dusty Rhodes. Really? Yeah. And Luke Perry actually said that, like, one of the greatest things about his celebrity was that Dusty Rhodes knew who he was. <laughs> and he was such a mark for Dusty. That's so cool. Yeah, man. That's yeah. amazing. I've been yeah. at one show where Luke was at just hanging out, and I was like, oh, shit, Luke Perry's here. And then they're like, oh, his son wrestles. He's yep. here. And that was Good kid, years too, ago. man. So. Good kid. Good-looking kid. He's in good shape. He's smaller still, but he's young. Yeah. And, um, yeah, because this was when he was like 14. Yeah. So... Yeah, he's he's, probably, he's actually he's still so young that he's too, he's almost too pretty. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and he's one you know because there's those guys and then when they get in their thirties they kind of get a little grizzled looking and they you know uh, you know amazing. So okay, great great time, man. I had a great time, and I just want to thank everyone in San Francisco for coming out and showing me some love, having a little faith in me. Appreciate it. And then Means this weekend, lot. you'll be in Illinois for Pinfall That's Wrestling right. Association. Yeah, man. In Pawnee, Pawnee Illinois. Uh, um, Saturday. Saturday. And uh, I'm very grateful to Pinfall Wrestling uh, and, uh, and the people that are going to be there. I'm looking forward to seeing everyone. You know, man, I love, I love, I love my job, man. I freaking love it. It's amazing. <laughs> so good. And uh, anyways... So that's about it for for this weekend, I, as far as I can remember. Um, other than that, what else is going on, TK? Oh wow! Um, gosh. Off guard? Yeah, <laughs> I thought you, I thought you were going to Jimbo first. Uh, oh gosh, I did a lot. I am uh, working on uh, preparing to go to get my master's. I'm working on that. Fed some homeless people. Worked out. Nice. Just you know the usual. Right on. <laughs> what, what was so funny about that? Gosh. Didn't expect it. Yeah, you know, I'm working on getting my master's, and I fed some homeless people. Just a couple of little things, things, like masters and feeding homeless people. You know, <laughs> Try to be save, well-rounded. Save somebody's life. Yeah. Talking about wrestling, and you know, <laughs> you're saving the world over so, here. Still saving the world nonetheless when you what, wrestle. Um, yeah. What, uh, what's going on this week in, uh, Wrestling you know. news. All right, you ready for some X-Pac 12360 news? We got to get, the, I got I to gotta do a better job of, uh, of, 
segueing into that with you. I'm sorry. No, he's okay. Uh, <laughs> no, that's fine. It's Hit so the cue. <laughs> One, two, three, sixty. Wrestling news. Oh boy, I'm gonna. I was gonna say something. I'll say it for off air. Um, a, lucha, <laughs> a lucha legend has passed away. So. Uh, Grand Apache, he passed away at uh, 58, and you said you mentioned that you worked with him. Uh, I, I know, I knew knew him and his family very well. You know, I lived in Mexico for four years and um, worked with with uh, El Grand Apache. Uh, you know, everyone in Lucha Libre down in Mexico um, knows he's one of the all time greats, and uh, he's also one of the all time great uh, teachers of Lucha Trainers, Libre. Trainers, yeah. Yes. And not only that, he had uh, he had a wife, Lady Apache. Back when in 1991, I was in Japan with him and his wife, ex-wife, Lady Apache. Um, and he had he has two daughters that wrestle currently. Fabi Apache is one of the. She's on the left in the picture right there, and uh, on the right is is Mary Apache, and wow. they're both amazing. It's a family affair. Yeah, and they all, they go in there and they go toe to toe. With with the fellas down there, and it's brutal, man. They're uh, they're amazing. Everyone in that the old Grand Apache family is is amazing, and and uh, he passed away from cancer. I was I was talking with Conan yesterday. I I went on Conan uh, keeping it a hundred, keeping it one hundred. Yeah, and uh, talked to him and KG about it, and. You know, like I said, he passed away from cancer. I was wondering exactly what it was. Yeah, nothing online was yeah. uh, saying. I was trying to trying to find it out, but he's been wrestling since he was sixteen, since nineteen seventy five. That's been the game that's a typical a story for uh, for wrestlers in Mexico. Yeah, wow. and I also want to, uh, even though like I have, I, I feel however I feel about AAA Lucha Libre. Uh, I really want to since I want to send my sincere condolences to uh, to the Roldan family, Dorian, Maricela, and, and and everyone. Um, they're the owners of AAA, and and uh, Dorian's father, Maricela's uh, uh, husband. He he passed away. I'm not even sure why, or uh, you know what was wrong with him. But he also passed away the other day, and. Uh, didn't get a lot of mention, you know, in, in the press. And I just want to send my sincere condolences to Dorian and Maricela and everyone down there, AAA. So uh, that being said, um, already, you know, obviously condolences to yeah. to Fabi, Mary, and uh, and Lady Apache. Yeah. Le- left a legacy, though, just oh, yeah. a lot. Um, made an impact in Japan and in Mexico. Uh, so moving on, uh, WWE superstar is in a little bit of hot water, but he's still doing good for his community. So according to TMZ, Titus O'Neil, uh, he is being sued by Donald Anderson for $1.2 million for an incident that happened on Swerve in 2015. Um, so I was looking online. So what happened was... Um, there was an uh, incident where Titus got um, kind of poked with a cattle prod, cattle prod. A, a, like electric cattle prod, yeah. and he reacted back according to what Donald's saying, and it affected um, Donald's arm, his hands, and okay. his wrists where he can no longer work to what he expected. So he's suing Titus for $1.2 million in damages. Hmm. Is that the only person he's suing? 
He's yeah. not suing the production company or whoever wrote the stupid uh, skit to where he was to get prodded with a cattle prod? That's what I was saying. Yeah, I don't come know, on. I don't know why I would sue Titus. I'd be suing the production. I mean, yeah. this, first of all, let me tell you a quick story about the time when I was like 18 and was wrestling on, on Independence in Minnesota, and we were on a road trip to Minot, North Dakota. And there was a guy named Tony Danucci, and he was in, he was sitting, and we stopped at a truck stop in a very rural area that has things like cattle prods for sale, and they're not hit, they're not put up on a you know behind the counter, they're just out for anyone to pick up and yeah, like you're do walking whatever. to the convenience store, yeah. just want to oh what is this hanging game? there like a broom, yeah, and uh, and so uh, Tony Danucci's in the toilet, sitting down on the toilet in the toilet stall, and I just thought it was a good, be pretty funny, right? If I, I took the, the cattle anyway, prod. this is what I did. I grabbed the cattle prod, okay. Uh, I went in, I kicked the door into the stall, and I zapped him right in the chest with uh. it. It knocked him completely up off of the shitter and to the back of the, uh, to the wall of the of the uh, in the stall, like, wow. and it left a mark on him. So, I'm at, I can I can understand how Titus O'Neil, not knowing that was going to happen, would react that way. I mean, what do you think's going to happen, people, when you do stupid shit like that? Um, you know, I mean, I know it's funny or whatever, but you remember, like, I'm sure you've seen, like, the one prank where the guy pops up from, like, the garbage can with a yeah, monster, they, yeah, and some, and the guy just reacts face. and just decks him, right? Mm-hmm. Just knocks him right out. I mean, that's kind of, that's what's going to happen. I think that if, you know, I understand the guy, if the guy really has those issues, I understand him wanting somebody to pay. Right. You know? Well, it's, see, so it, the if I was incident, Titus, I'd sue somebody. Well, the incident happened in 2015, so it feels like he probably tried suing the bigger organizations and it didn't pan out, so now he's going after Titus. That's what it seems like, because it's, it's 2017 now. So, I mean... I don't know why that make never any got sense. picked up as news before, though. If exactly. If he really did, like why that wasn't something brought to people's attention of hey camera guy on swerved is suing this production company because he was assaulted so some, so a 200 a six foot six, six, six and a half foot <laughs> 300 pound uh stud gets cattle prodded doesn't know it's going to happen and Boy, he reacts. Yeah, mm-hmm. imagine that if somebody gets hurt in the process. And also for shows like that, they usually have forms that are that release whoever is the subject of that from any sort of ill will like this. Like, you can't really. You can sign any form you uh, want. Any, yeah, you any, still. you know, it's but gross. yeah, you can't. It doesn't matter. And the thing is, after the event, after that happened, he Anderson was asked to leave right after that happened because he said he feared that um, Titus would come after him. After Why that. was he the one that did it? No, that's that's the whole. It's it's a very I don't understand the story. And which what irritates me even more, this came out right after a couple of days after um, Titus. He's going to be on TED Talks at UCLA, right. which is happening next Saturday. And you know, like you were saying, we were talking about his whole story. Like he's come through a lot. Like, yes. You know, we're going to tag the video on Instagram. Later. Later, but you know he was uh, not i don't know we don't need to go right people a lot of people know a story and it's his to tell right um and uh but it's a it's a really heavy duty story and it's amazing it's 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 almost a miracle that he turned out the way he did man mm-hmm. uh, it's like a willie max situation i it's i it's it's different in that i mean i just, just mean like hardships make yeah. you the person you are 
You yeah. could have easily went left. Absolutely. They went right. Yeah, and, and Titus is an amazing, uh, amazing father, man. I've seen him being a father. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, he's a, he's a great friend to his friends. He's, a, you know, um, and, and he's a credit to the industry of professional wrestling. I'm, I'm like, honored to have him in the same business as me. To be, you know, honest about right. it. So, I don't know. It just, it just seemed. I was very irritated at the fact that he's doing so much good, yeah. and he's doing this TED Talks. He, you know, got picked up, and it's not. This is not something like you can say, "Oh, I want to be part of TED Talks." So he got picked up to do this, yeah. and then three days later, this story from 2015 comes out. I just, um, yeah. I'm you know not, what though? I just don't see this story like tarnishing Titus's image at all. You know, come on. I can't can't people understand how something like that might happen? Anyways, next. Moving on. <laughs> uh, a rock star tried to slut shame a pro wrestler on Twitter, and uh, it didn't end up so well for him. So, King of Leon's bassist, Gerald, uh, Jared Falwell, he decided to go on his Twitter account and say, hey, adults, let's maybe not watch professional wrestling, you know? And, um... Yeah. So how is that slut shaming somebody? Well, like, so that's how the tweet started. That's how yeah. it started. And the outpour of wrestling fans and wrestlers uh-huh. were way better than this whole uh, this whole slut shame thing bothers me. But anyway, uh, basically, uh, Speedball Mike Bailey quoted his tweet with a Seinfeld reference yeah. of like, well, the jerk store called and like they're running out of you situation. Yeah, the washed up alternative so, rock uh, rock band store called, they're running out of you. And then Vita Scott... Vita Scott put a shrimp emoji because yeah. that's from the Seinfeld episode he's eating the shrimp. Uh-huh. And then King of Leon guy said, close your legs to the shrimp emoji, which was just a bad joke. Yeah. If he would have like been like close your legs, you effing blah blah blah, I could understand. Yeah, being like, I don't oh, that's see slut this. Shaming, I don't see on. this as slut shaming, but he is a dipshit. Oh yeah, yeah they went after stupid. him. Yeah, Biggie said, yeah. "Don't play with my money." We have uh, somebody said, "I miss when you guys making money." I just money think I think he should just stick to what he does and maybe not uh, telling people what they should or shouldn't watch. I think he didn't. Time. He yeah. didn't realize how big the wrestling universe is and how people came after him. I yeah, think uh, he's probably a good guy. Yeah. I'm sure he's. A, I'm sure he's a good guy. Not a not a wrestling fan, and you know who knows why he did that. But you know what? I've done stupid tweets like that. Not not obviously about wrestling, but mm-hmm. I think uh, Rob Naylor on Twitter put it best. Yeah. Was this guy in 20 minutes got more heat? Than yeah. any bad guy wrestler has in a long <laughs> hey, time. Yeah. I want to say what's up to Rob Naylor, man. He's Shout a great out Rob guy. Naylor. Yeah, he's good dude. He used to be called Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, yeah. Oh. The, like his backstage. Oh god, nickname. I'm sure he probably doesn't. I always well, love seeing him when he shows that. up in LA. He's great. He's got a he's got a great show on High Spots too called oh, Hitting good. High Spots with Rob Naylor. Nice. Check it out. Yeah, I'm a I'm a Rob Naylor fan. Yeah, he's a good dude. Really great good guy. Yeah. Okay, What's, what else is going on? <laughs> oh, okay, and uh, could a WWE superstar be the next president? Well, we've already got a Hall of Famer yeah. in the presidency. So. It's possible. So um, his, here's how it all break, broke down. Michael Moore, he was doing an interview for Variety magazine, and they were just asking him about the whole, he's not, Michael Moore's not a big fan of Trump, and they were asking but he did call But he did call Trump winning the election. Yes. Yeah, he did call it, for, yeah. uh, you know, 
from you know Jump Street. Well, yeah, there's just a lot of factors. But he called. He said, um, "Who would you pick for the next Democratic representative?" And Michael Moore said, "The Rock." And the thing is, The Rock had uh, mentioned it probably probably last couple months, maybe six or seven months ago. Then The Rock just came out with another interview um, in GQ, and they asked him about it, and he said he'd definitely be you know down to do that. So you know, it might it's a it's a possible thing. He said personally, I feel that if I were president, um, I'm posed. I I'm poised with. I, I would be a great president. Leadership is important. Taking responsibility for everybody is also important. So that was in the G- GQ magazine. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think? Have you, you think it's it's a possibility or do you think I he'd be think a good, good president? Dwayne Johnson, would, I, I, he could be the president. He could probably be the president right now, man. Oh. I, I mean, uh, I don't know if I'd, I, I don't know if I'd assume he would be a Democrat, though. He's voted both ways. I know he yeah. has. And he actually... Was a uh, he actually spoke at um, was it oh crap what was it the two thousand or ninety when was the uh, anyways it was at the Republican National Convention he oh. spoke there yeah a lot of people don't know that yeah I didn't know that yeah. wow yeah did you know that Mark Donica I did not know that uh, Dwayne Johnson but what nope. <laughs> You're not Dwayne Johnson, but I did find that he spoke at uh, 2000. Was yeah, when, it was, was 2000. when he spoke at it. Okay. Yeah, uh, but I just I don't see him as a as a a party guy. I I see him as an independent. Yeah, type he's guy. he's kind of more backing independent. But I don't. I definitely see that could be a possibility. But it feels like we just need people who have kind of went to school and have kind of gone through um, the trenches. In being president versus how do you go through the pre- trenches of being president until you're president? Well, no, you like senators that and like that's, that doesn't well, work. That it's just way. like somebody it's saying, "Hey, different. I want to wrestle," and then they want to like be putting, putting them through their paces yeah. in the, through the Indies. What's the Indies Listen, for politics? Go- government was supposed to be. It was designed to be. Uh, we're we're designed to be governed by the people. Like you're supposed to get into politics or get into elected office, serve and go back to public life. That's how it's supposed to work. Yeah. It's th- This whole thing has just morphed into some crazy big racket. But you should know, like, the ins and outs of policy. Like, I, 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 don't, have a, I don't have an issue with, you know, if, you're, if you were in a career politician, yeah. but knowing, you know, states and so, policy and everything sure. like that, that's important. Yeah. So yeah, well, on, the, on the ballot, there's Jesse Ventura, and The Rock, are you voting for Jesse Ventura because he has the experience that you're speaking of? And he's been through the well, trenches, it depends, like you're saying? Well, it depends on my... Are you talking about for presidency? Yeah. I would lean towards more Jesse Ventura. Because... I can understand now that. You're asking, now you're asking somebody to who has, you know... He's been governor He's Minnesota. been governor, and you he's know how... He's been in politics for exactly. a while. Exactly. Now, the, you know, the, you're... The thing about Rock is I would imagine that he would start off by maybe uh, running for governor of California. That's what yeah, I would... Uh, yeah. I think... I think you're right about yeah. that, yeah. especially with like Booker T and Kane now. I, I would see that yeah. yes. before just jumping right into presidency. Yeah. Although I think he could kill it in votes. Oh be, gosh. but I mean, I do ridiculous. agree with you. There, there should be some kind of experience, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, not always, but I think it's it's ideal. Uh, I don't know. I um, good Rocky's. One of the most popular people on the face of the earth. Oh my gosh! And, and it's not 
for the wrong reasons, man. He's done he's done all the right things. Yeah. From he, the very time I met him, he he made all the right decisions. It's crazy how he can straddle it. I was watching like he has this huge YouTube following. I was watching some of his videos. It's crazy how he can literally swear and say every F word in the book while while responding to a sixteen year old kid's questions and you won't feel offended. It's like it's the most amazing thing to me. You're like, Oh, he just said the F word and yeah. I'm fine with it. It's just kind of he's I don't know how he managed to do it, but how he's balancing it is completely perfect. That's I love him. It. You know, what are you going to do? What are you What are you going to do? If it comes from a genuine place, it's hard to yeah. deny, really. Right. You're going to smell what he's cooking. That's what you're going to do. Well, have. you know, a lot of ladies want to smell what he's cooking. Um, There you have it for the X-Pac 12316 News. Don't forget to follow us on AfterBuzz TV um, on everything. Also on Twitter at The Real X-Pac, Instagram, X-Pac 12360, and Facebook, X-Pac 12360 Show. And also buy Sean's shirts at Pro Wrestling T at Sean Waltman. Right on. Yeah. Nice. Coming back with Christopher Daniels. Yeah. We're going to take a break right now, and we're going to return with the Christopher Daniels interview. What's up, party people? Roxy Stryer here from The Tomorrow Show with Kevin Undergaro. We're your twice-weekly broadcast of One Man's Midlife Crisis and the mad millennials in Star Trek uniforms that follow him. And I'm one of those millennials, Lauren Magrasso here. We've had some amazing guests like Russell Simmons, Ileana Douglas, and Craig Gass. Coolio, right? Christian Blatt in the house to tell you to go to thetomorrowshow.com to check us out. We're live every Monday and Thursday from 10 to midnight Eastern. That's thetomorrowshow.com. Be there, be square, whatever that means. Hey, guys. He's been in the game for over 20 years. He's won over 19 total championships between TNA, ROH, and the New Japan Pro Wrestling. He is the current Ring of Honor world champion, known as Curry Man and sometimes the King of Indies. Please welcome Christopher Daniels. Hello. What's up, man? Hey, man. we got to give a oh, warm so, welcome. The fallen angel yeah. himself. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank King you of me. Indies. Uh, it's been a while then since yeah. I've been called that, man. It's, uh, it's something that I had for a long time, but I don't feel like See, that applies now, anymore. But at the same time, like now, King of Indies is, like to me, a would be something like that's a good yeah, yeah I'll no, be no, the king yeah, I never oh, yeah, I never I never I never looked at it as an as a negative I okay. never did but I feel like the period of time in my career when it, when I was the king of the indies yeah. like 98 99 till about 2002 I it fit because I was going everywhere I was working everywhere yeah. but once TNA and Ring of Honor came around and especially the times when I was only working there, sure. like you can't really call those guys independents anymore. They're more they're That's right. the step between independence and like the biggest. Because I big mean, time. what isn't everything independent now? Because it was all like okay, independent used to be called outlaw, right? Right. And you know, if you weren't part of the NWA, right, then you were independent or outlaw, however you want to put it. Sure. And, and like now it, we're all outlaw. Like man. what the territories, what the territories were in the eighties, seventies, yeah. and eighties became indies when everything became. Under the umbrella of Vince, sure. So yeah, I was I was fine being called the King of Indies then. I don't feel it fits to me now because being a part of Ring of Honor and TNA, like there are guys that still make their living. I mean, look at Colt Cabana. That's he, right. He's everywhere. He works for Ring of Honor, but he's also doing everywhere every weekend. He's somewhere. And to me, if you called Colt the King of the Indies right now, that would be like. 
completely fitting. So sure. I don't feel I don't feel like I deserve to be called king of the indies at this point. You know what I mean? There Plus are guys you're the that ROH world champion, right? Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm the king oh, yeah. of ROH. I don't mind being called. And I'm, that. I, I'm so happy for you. I mean, I can't think of a better of a more deserving person. Oh, thank you, Sean. I appreciate I've been, that. Man. Always been Thanks. a big savage. Hey. Uh, well, first of all, I wasn't aware that Sam DeSero trained you. Yeah, they yeah, started yeah. Out Windy City. That's guys, where huh? I started. Yeah, I um I moved up there after I graduated college, trying to break into the acting scene up there. Right. And um, my girlfriend at the time was now my wife. We uh, we were both trying to break into acting in the theater scene up there. And uh, when things were going like not going well, I always joked to her like, "Hey, you know, if this acting thing doesn't work out." I can always be a pro wrestler, ha ha ha, because I grew up watching it, you know, I'm a big fan. My wife found Sam's school in the Yellow Pages, made an appointment for me, and she said, you're going to see this guy. So I went in and I met with Sam, and she says I came out of that meeting with, like, my eyes glazed over, like, ah. And she says I was hypnotized, and I decided, you know, uh, I was going to give this a try, and if if I washed out, if I was crap, then at least I could tell my kids I tried it, and it ended up being good for it. What did he say to hypnotize you? I want to hear what the spiel was. God, I don't remember specifically. I mean, no, not not quote. I I don't know the quote. It it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, there wasn't anything where I was like... Was he blowing any smoke? No, I don't think so. He was very honest, and especially at that point, I was 180 pounds. So he looked at me and was like, you know, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard work. Um, He wasn't trying to, he wasn't trying to steal my money. Sure. You know what I mean? He wanted, you know... He knew that I was going to be in for a, a long road. Mm-hmm. And so he just, I, I think the idea, though, of... Did he tell you that, too? Hey, it's oh, going to yeah. be tough for you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, this wasn't like, hey, man, everything's going to be easy and, and hand over your money. And then once the money came, it was like, nope, and here's all the hard work. Yeah. No, he told me up front, like, this is going to be tough. Um, you get into it what you, you get out of it what you put into it. And that's something I've always said to people. In life. Yeah, in yeah and the whole thing, the whole thing. And... Um, I think it was just the idea, like when I grew up, I was watching guys like Dusty Rhodes and the Road Warriors and, and, and Nikita Koloff and yeah. Sting. And so in my mind, there was a bit of a disconnect between the type of person I was and the type of people they were. I thought, oh, that's never, that's never, that's a dream that's out of my reach. Unattainable, and then, huh? You yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. And, so and then, honestly, what, then what was your motivation? Have you thought that was unattainable? Well, honestly, at that point in my life, in the you know when I was 10, 12 years old, I thought it was unattainable. Along around uh, 1990, 91, I turn on Global Wrestling Federation and I see a young man by the name of the Lightning Kid. <laughs> and honest to God, Sean, this is not me blowing smoke because I'm on your show. You were the first person that I saw on television where I looked at that person and I said, oh my God, he's not... The Road Warriors. He's not Nikita Koloff, but he's in there, and he's, you know, successful. And so you were the one that made me think, oh my God, it's possible for a smaller guy, an athletic guy, to do this. And I mean, and it's funny too because when I finally met you, like you weren't small to me. You're right. big to me. You're like two thirty, two forty when I met you. No, I was never that big. I you might were a bigger guy, that big. but you're taller than me. You're bigger okay. than me. But on television, you were the small guy. Right. And so, like when I started, I was 180 pounds, and which is like a mid-sized guy now. Well, yes, exactly. I was just gonna say, <laughs> like back then, yeah. I was at the the bottom end of it. Now I'm in the middle. Um, when we started, Sam DeCero, he sort of saw that there was a change in body type. So at Windy City, there was heavyweight middleweight and lightweight nice and so i was the first not the first i was uh my first title that i ever won was the windy city lightweight championship and that was sort of the idea 
along, um, you know, the light heavyweights and the cruiserweights, that sort of thing. Not that Sam was the first guy to have that type of title, but uh, he knew that there were going to be guys 180 pounds, 160 pounds that were going to come in. So and he, he wanted saw, to make us. He like, saw a little bit into the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He saw that, like, if he wanted to be able to say, here is a school that you'll be able to do this, you know, he didn't want to, like, take their money and ruin their dreams. You know what I mean? He wanted yeah. guys to have opportunities. So he made opportunities by having a lightweight division. And um, that was what I did for the first two years uh, of Windy City. I was wrestling in that yeah. lightweight division. And that were you at all yet uh, developing your style? Like, you know, I mean, was were the stuff, how, as a lightweight or a middleweight, like, were the guys, were you trying to work that style? You know, the high-flying style? Absolutely, yeah, because I felt like if I was a smaller guy, but I tried to wrestle like a big guy, then all you would see was the difference in terms of body size. If sure. I wrestled the same style that the 240-pound guy did, and you looked at both of our matches, then you'd be like, well, this guy's really small. Why is he trying to do this? Sure. So I tried to play to my strengths, which yeah. were, you know, I was faster. I, I knew a little bit of high flying. And then you were watching, I was watching guys like, one of the first things that I tried to do was the springboard, like Brian Pillman, because yes. that caught my eye and I was like oh so like in my first couple of matches I was doing the springboard and then I went into doing the springboard spin kick which became something early on that was in my right. repertoire and um, but yeah that was the I, the idea was I not that I like I, I didn't like revolutionize the style but I was certainly looking into that and going okay this is stuff that I can do that uh, you know I was doing cross bodies because I was like oh there's flying that's me jumping off the ropes and yeah. using my body against my opponent rather than trying to muscle my opponent around right on uh, when was, do you remember the first time we met because okay the first time I remember running into you okay. was um, at WWF TV taping out here in California somewhere. Probably. I think it was Anaheim. Was it Beyond the Bat backstage or Beyond it the Bat? It might have been, actually. That it might have been. been right around that time. Sure. Because, uh, like, like I'm asking a little bit, what, you know, how, how come you never, you know, actually ended up working full time in WWE? Because you were definitely on the radar, man, because we all talked about you. Right. You okay, know? that's good to know. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I remember talking to Bruce Pritchard about you. I don't know how many times. You know, they were very, you know, very high on you. Yeah. Well, I I felt like I felt like the period of time then, and I, and it's probably one of the first times I met you. If that wasn't the first time, because yeah. I was going there and doing uh, dark matches and the syndicated stuff, and um, I actually because of doing that, Cornette got me into Dory's dojo that they uh -huh. were doing out of oh, yes. out of Titan Towers at that That's point. Right. They were doing it in Titan Towers. In Titan Towers or at the studio? The studio, I the think. The studio's down the road from Titan Towers a little ways. Okay, then then it was the place that had the gym and the, the cafeteria. Oh, no, that's Titan Towers. Oh, then it was Titan Towers. Yeah, because yeah, I were, it they had it in one of, uh, pretty close, yeah, because do you remember, do you remember when uh, Austin filled Vince's car with cement. Yes. I remember that was the week we were doing it because that car was in the parking garage, yeah. just set up, just filled with cement because they had to. Was know, it was it next to Sergeant Slaughter's <laughs> camouflage limo? No, that was the only car down there that I recognized. So <laughs> we actually put the ring on the roof one time and filmed the commercial for, or not the commercial, the opening for Raw. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, and yeah, there yeah. was this guy. He used to do the. Uh, oh, I don't want to go off. Of <laughs> Anyways, he had a. He had a, a toupee and Owen lit it on fire one time. Oh, it was <laughs> hilarious. Let's go into the weeds on this. Let's yeah. tell this story. <laughs> no, nah, we'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> oh, man. That's uh, great. Anyways, go ahead, Jimbo. Well, so 
you were doing enhancement matches mm -hmm. for like Sunday Night Heat and Velocity and whatnot. Right. Who are you working against? The first one I ever had. Uh, let me preface this for a second. For a long time, I didn't do. Uh, I didn't put myself out there for enhancement matches because something that Sam said, and this was this wasn't something that he was a hundred percent firm on, but he mentioned he was like, "Listen, if you go there and you are a jobber." They may never look at you as anything but That's that. Right. So for a long time, I didn't do it. Finally, when I moved out to California, the opportunity arose, and I was like, well, you know what? This I, I've got nothing to lose. I've got nothing to lose. Let me go in there, and maybe they see something, and, and they might decide to do something with me. So the first time I ever did one, I drove to Phoenix, um, and this was when they were doing the light heavyweight stuff. Okay. And they had me wrestle Taka Mishinoku, and that was my first television match. And um, Taka who didn't know me, but his liaison through WWE was Victor Quinones. Oh, yeah. Victor Quinones and my tag team partner from Chicago, Kevin Quinn, they were good friends. And so Victor knew me of because of the stuff that we did in Puerto Rico together back in 95. Victor was a brilliant guy, actually. Absolutely, absolutely. And and um, he had a lot to do with bringing the, the Japanese and the Mexican wrestlers right. into WWE at that period of time. And there was a lot of good stuff that... That was happening and could have happened if WWE had gotten into like a hundred percent into that light heavyweight. They would have had a sure. lot of great Mexican talent, a lot of great Japanese talent. So I had that match with Taka, and um, and honestly, that match sort of opened doors in two different directions for me because it got me into Japan, which got me over there yeah. frequently, and then it also being on syndicated television, it got me the opportunity to get booked on the East Coast, and that's where all the independent work was at the time. And luckily, after that, once I started working for different independent companies over there, um, when the business sort of took a downturn, I had made up enough name that still flying me out from the West Coast was a, a yeah. good investment for an independent company as opposed to, oh, we can't afford your flight. And we're talking you know? about like at this point when it started going down, it was probably 2003-ish. 2002 um, No, even, even uh, yeah, a little later. bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Because by that time, I had Ring of Honor going, and TNA was starting to become something because they were 2002. Yes. So yeah, right around that period of time when independent companies were like, "Ah, oh, man, we can't fly in from California." Sure. You know, I was lucky that I was like, "Oh no," you know, that was a good investment to them. Still, so I got lucky. And, and you know, you're talking about Sam's advice too, I I, I agree with him. Uh, if you're if you spend too much time in that enhancement talent role you will it will be very hard for them to look at you in any other light right right uh that being said i think it's okay to go and just let them see you right you know and do that was your match with uh with taco was it a competitive match absolutely okay, yeah then. yeah That's see he, he yeah man. he gave me he gave me the opportunity to shine <laughs> yeah like i i only ever had one match where the guy was like hey man i'm sorry i gotta eat you up and i went okay i because i was wrestling draws and draws, oh, yeah. and draws came to me, and he's like, listen, man, this isn't personal. And I go, understood, dude. And he ate me up. And I, I just this. asked him, I said, do you mind if I if I do some stuff so that it looks like I'm fighting back? And he's like, yeah, sure. So he let me, like, uh, he tried to backdrop me, and I backflipped and landed on my feet and rolled him up once. And the rest of it was just wham, wham, yeah. wham, wham, wham. But, I mean, he was he was good about it. Or not not good. I mean, he was uh, polite about it. He understood, sure. and he wasn't a dick. He wasn't like, you know. Yeah, so. and, you know, he was... 
he was pretty green, and right, and so like I mean, that's kind of what he had to do. Sure, it wasn't like sure. he could go out there and just have a really, you know, right, right, right. And, really and at the match. time, he <laughs> was doing something with I want to say Steve Blackman, and so they were pushing those guys to get to do something together yeah. against each other. And of course, he's not going to like give me a fifty-fifty match, and I understood that. So I mean, it was cool that he even asked, or even or even brought it up to me. Any you other guys I mean? you worked with there that uh, stood out? I I did um I did a bunch of matches with Taka. I did two matches with Taka. I did one with Show and Dick Togo in a tag. I did um, a couple show dark- Funaki or yeah. Big Show. No, no, no Funaki. There was no, no there was no Dick Togo and uh, Big Show tag. Team, thinking, although like, that would have wow, been outstanding. Been Dick Togo was my very first opponent in Japan. Oh, he was awesome. Yeah. He was awesome. He was man. just out here for PWG this weekend. Oh, nice. yeah, 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 yeah. He lives in Vietnam now. He started like really? Vietnam pro wrestling or something yeah, crazy. He did. He did. Yeah. I did a bunch of dark matches with. Uh, with Ron Killings before he was on television. Oh, yes. I did a couple darks. Friends. I did a couple darks with Jeff Hardy. Uh, so I, I got to work a, a good range of guys, a good gamut of guys. And then I had dark matches where it was me and another local guy. Right. Um, and sometimes I was up and sometimes I was sure. down on that. So just now, depended. Were we in, uh, when, when I was in TNA, I, I, sh- I showed up in TNA not long after they started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I was still in Nashville at the fairgrounds. Uh, right. Were we there together? Because I know we were in... Uh, you know, obviously, we were in TNA at, when it was, you know, in Universal. Orlando. Yes, yes. Yeah, tons. I was there when you did the stuff with AJ that one time. Oh, I, I, I worked that show. When China came with me? Yes. I don't or, remember China. But. Oh, no. Okay. Might have been before that. Like, I, I thought I, the match that you had with AJ, I was oh, there it was that a day. Match yes, with AJ. yes, yes, yes. Uh, I was okay. there that day, but I didn't get a chance to see you just because. Right. The way the locker rooms were situated, like where you and AJ were, there was no easy access to get there. So, like, they let you guys have your space, sure. and the rest of us were just sort of off and around doing it's our own stuff. Not a lot stuff. of room so, in that locker no, room. No, God no, there, yeah. God no. Yeah, and lots of lots of stuff sort of blocked off, and we're walking like through hallways this big just to yeah. get to the like the gorilla position and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't even think I may not have even said hey to you that day, only because. Um, did you get there as the show was going on? Oh, I'm or? sure. You yeah, know, yeah. And if I was, and I was running around, you know, like back then I was really messed up. Still. Right. I mean, I was kind of hiding it a little. Well, actually, you didn't have to hide it around there. Right. Unfortunately. Right, right, right. Uh, because really, what were they going to do at that point in their career? It's not like they're going to fire, you know, fire me. They kind of needed me. Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah. But, it, but yeah, I, I don't even think. I don't even think I got a chance to even, like, hey, man, have a good one or take care or be yeah. safe or any of that. So. Yeah. But I was yeah. there, yeah, I was physically there. I just knew I was doing stuff. Like, I I did a couple of shows early on, and I was going back and forth to Japan, so I never got a whole lot of momentum going. And then finally in December of 2002, they offered me a spot. Uh, not a full-time spot, but, like, they, they offered me a contract, and that was when they put me and Elix Kipper and Loki oh, together. Yes. Triple X. Triple X. Yes. And the whole point of that was all three of us were going back and forth to Japan, but we weren't going at the same time, so... The idea was when I was in Japan, it would be Elix and Loki. Yeah. When Key was in Japan, me and Elix and that sort of thing. And um, we did that for about a year. And right around that time, I decided, you know, the more often I go to Japan, the less likely I'm going to get any sort of momentum here in TNA. Yeah. So around 2004, I told Japan I'd like to take a little time off and see how this goes with, with TNA. And, yeah. and that was the last time I was full-time, or not full-time, but uh the last time that I did any sort of like long term stuff with Japan. Oh. When you were going over there, were you going as Christopher Daniels or as Curryman? No, it was all Curryman. The first time I went to Japan, I was Christopher Daniels, and they offered me the Curryman spot for the next time I came back. And the next time I came back was that 
Mass Man tour. Wait, wait, that, so that was that Michinoku or New mm-hmm. Japan? Michinoku. Yeah. Michinoku. At first okay. it was Michinoku. Yeah. So '99, I had a tour at Michinoku with, as myself. They offered me the Curry Man spot, and that was the Mass Man tour that JL did, Jerry yeah. Lynn. Um, so I did that, and that was the character. Curry Man was the character that they created that got over. All oh, the other okay. ones were just meh, that just local mask guys. Thing that Jerry wore was some kind of one-off thing that I can't even remember the name of it. Right, Gold, Golga's Golga Cross or something, or something, something yeah. like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but yeah, that was the idea. Like they had, they had their full-time, you know, Sasuke and Tiger Mask and Grand Naniwa. They had those the crab full-time. Guy. Yep, Grand yep. Nanino was a crab. Yep, and then and crab then they made people. they made uh, they made characters just for that tournament. And by the end of that tournament, Curry Man was over, and they're like, yeah. "Please come back." And I was like. Oh yeah, I'm coming back. So how did Curry Man go to wrestling in TNA? Was that your idea? Or yes. Was... Okay. Yeah, I um, uh, I was doing the Fallen Angel character, and Russo and I had talked about doing the stuff with Sting, and that fell through. And um, they were always on me about like, oh, why are you called the Fallen Angel? Why are you yeah. called the Fallen Angel? And I kept trying to pitch my ideas, and Vince and I sort of started one, but I felt like. When I was going, when I was doing this stuff with Sting, I felt like I was never the main focus right. of Sting. They put me in there with Sting, but it was like, oh, by the way, Sting's Sting's fighting Abyss for the World Heavyweight Title, but there's also Christopher Daniels in the background. Still Nashville. No, no, this yeah, was this was Orlando. Okay, this Orlando. was 2009. Yeah, and so um, finally. Uh, oh wow, 2009. Go fast forward. Yeah, we fast forward a while. Yeah, okay. I, I, I would. I wasn't Curry Man for them until yeah. 2009, I think. So, okay, so 2008, I'm doing the stuff with Sting. I finally have the singles match with Sting, and uh, it's the first time we wrestle, and Vince is like, okay, uh, Sting's up, and that's the end of the feud. And I go, what? What's going on? That's the end of the feud? Oh, they don't like this. They're going to put you back in the X Division, blah, blah, blah. So finally, I wrote this email, and I said, listen, we're worrying too much about why we're called, why I'm called the Fallen Angel, and maybe this character that I'm trying to do isn't fit. So we can do one or two things. You can just call me the Fallen Angel and it's a nickname like Nature Boy or Heartbreak Kid. Sure. It's just a name. Or what if I did this and I showed them Curry Man stuff and I said I could do this character I could go away for a while and refresh this thing. They liked Curry Man and so I, they brought me in as Curry Man and they kept me there for a year. Yeah. And so yeah it was just like oh yeah. So how did Shark Boy and Super Eric come about in creating that They group? put us together they put us together. I see it on the video now. <laughs> they just put us together. The first day, instead of debuting me in a singles, they debuted me in two tag matches. They had one tag match with me and Tiger Mask. Yeah. So we were just two Japanese Tiger guys. Mask 4? Yes. Okay. Tiger Mask 4 was over there for he a He was bit. trained by Sayama. Right, right, right. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he and I tagged. And then a little bit later in the same cool. taping, me and Shark Boy tagged. So at the end of that, Mike Tanego's you know, I see, I see a future with you and Sharkboy as a tag team. And I was like, okay, that wasn't what I had envisioned because I wasn't playing, I didn't plan on playing Curry yeah. Man as a comedy character at that point. I was just going to be, you know, Japanese wrestling guy. And then, um, so then once they put me and Sharkboy together, then the whole idea of Curry Man being sort of more haha came around. Yeah. So I was watching that, that, that entrance you just did. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, Wow, you're really getting into that character. When you put the mask on, does it just make it so easy to... Uh, Absolutely. Because you're kind of hiding behind the mask. I mean, that's how I am. Yeah. Even with a pair of sunglasses, I can like do something yeah. different. You know? Well, yeah, and I, I think, too... Because like, you I, were really... You were doing it, man. You were all in on that. When I... And that <laughs> and was, really... There was a period of time... There was a period of time in Mishinoku where I was frustrated because I think I was too... I was too concentrated... I was too concentrated on being the wrestler. And finally, like and the character Curry Man, I didn't understand 
what they were trying to get because I had never seen the comic book character that it was based on. So I had no frame of reference. So literally, it was an Indian, uh, a, a guy from India. India. And so for the first two weeks, I literally pretended I was Apu from The Simpsons. Like I would uh. hit a move and then I'd be like, ah, oh, so sorry, so sorry. And then Grand Hamada, <laughs> later on, Grand Hamada goes, hey man, stop that shit. Just wrestle. Just yeah. wrestle. So I went out and I wrestled. And then. About a month in, or like a couple months in, I was like, wait a minute, why am I being so serious? I have a plate of food on my head. Yeah. What am I doing? So exactly. I literally that was that was me getting out of the getting out of my shell of being wrestler guy. And that was when I decided uh, I started dancing to the ring. I wrote Eat Me in Japanese on my arm. Um, I started wearing the hats to cover the mask, so when I took the big hat off, there was this big reveal. Nice. And that was when it then it's it kicked up another level as far as like being over. And then in Japan, though, like I would do the entrance, and then the bell would ring, and I would wrestle, and I would hang with these guys, and they'd be like, "Okay, this, this Curry man's a great wrestler, yay!" In TNA, uh, I took the dancing to the next level, where it was in my wrestling. I would do dance spots, like I would do the, I would, I would like uh, tangle with my opponent, or I would do something where I dip my Excellent. opponent. All these dancing spots, and that got over. And then I started doing this thing where all the girls, like I tried to be Curry man, the ladies' man. So I remember. <laughs> We did a backstage interview with me and Shark Boy and then Angelina Love and Velvet Sky. And I remember going up to Angelina and I go, ah, maybe you, maybe you, me, action, 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 action. And, yeah. and everybody popped. They're like, oh, <laughs> he just has to have sex with Angelina Love. Yay. <laughs> so, so that got to be sort of the idea that Curry Man was this ladies man and he was flirting with all the, the knockouts. And so I did that for a good portion of the TNA run. So... Tell me how you feel about like okay working so hard like to be this wrestler and then it's all the Gaga that gets the reaction. Um, I'm okay I'm with it. it. I, yeah, I'm completely yeah. okay with it. I mean, I think I think everybody goes through that period of time in their career where they're super serious about what they're doing and they want to be taken seriously. And I think it comes from time and experience and comfort where you finally realize like you can have a laugh in the ring. You can relax and, and enjoy, and that also gets entertaining. Like fans. Fans will pop for the wrestling. They'll pop yeah. for the high spots. But they'll also pop. They'll also come up for the comedy. Something that pops them in, or makes them laugh or something that catches them off guard. As long as it's and, good. As exactly. As it's well done. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I found that that sort of broadened my horizons as a performer, not being so strict and be like, I am a serious wrestler. Of course, we're always in there telling the story that we're trying to win. We're trying not to lose. But we're also out there. Uh, you know, the, in the back of our minds, we're trying to be entertaining. Yeah, man. And um, I, I think, and especially in this day and age where fans sort of know, they know but they don't know what the gig is, yeah. they want to be entertained too. They know they're not watching UFC. They know they're not watching, like, you know, a, a boxing a boxing match or a football game. They know what they're watching. Listen, though, Chris, even in those things you just named, mm -hmm. they're trying to be entertaining now sure. too. Sure, sure, sure. All of them, of course. Man. Of the course. smart ones are. Anyways. Of course, of course, absolutely. Of course, because they've seen how we as wrestlers have added longevity to us by being entertaining and and drawn more money. Yep. You know what I mean? The ones that are most successful in those avenues are the guys that are trying to be more like us. That's so. right. So um, you graduated um, from college with a degree in theater. Mm -hmm. So. Did you kind of use that as far as when you became a wrestler? Did you, did you see a difference as the background of theater and what you learned from that portion of it? I absolutely, in terms, especially in terms of doing, well, first of all, being an actor, 
to me, the mentality of, of I had no problem being the center of attention. And so that was something that helped me in wrestling to sort of, like, I wasn't shy. I wasn't like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to get up in front of these people. I was always getting up in front of people. I was the class clown. Mm. I, you know, the, the teachers were like, hey, sit down, goof. Go do your yeah. do your schoolwork and stop trying to be you know the the comedy dude. But I mean that was me. I was the extrovert in in school. And so when I was in theater and, and acting, once I went into wrestling, that helped me in terms of like okay, when I was doing promos, I knew that I needed to have a hook in my promo. I needed to have something to talk about. It wasn't just let me tell you something, brother. I'm gonna fight uh, with you, you and blah blah blah. I would I, I I would I would get into it. I would have a story to tell, even if it was a thirty second promo, I had a hook. I had something that was gonna catch you, you know, something that was gonna get your attention. Yeah. And so, you know, it's and, and the thing that made me stand out then was A, I had watched wrestling all my life, so I had a frame of reference and B having that comfort and confidence to be up in front of a camera or, you know, with a microphone in my hand, I could talk and then you get guys that are first year guys that are um well, I'm just going to go out there and do the best that I can, and they're not very loud. Give it 110. Yes, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Very cliche because that's what we do when we first go in. You know, the tendency is like, okay, I'll do what I saw growing up, or I'll do what I saw as a fan, and, and so everybody sort of does the cliches. And Chris, when when we're younger and we're just starting out, we really don't have anything really to say. Like, I mean, right. we don't have any experience to back up like the stuff we're talking about. Exactly. So it, it's not gen. You know, we got. It's not genuine. Yeah. That's exactly it. That's yeah, exactly yeah. it. And and I was I actually did a seminar this weekend for uh, Ken Anderson School in oh, Minnesota. Oh, in Minnesota. Yes, uh, I was I in Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah, and I was telling those guys like uh, they when you when you start out everybody's doing things like come on or or yeah you know the the cliche you know you do a, you do a move and then and then, a, and, then, a, and, yeah. then a, and then just a really manufactured fire ding 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 like, yep, like yep, somebody yep. will do a move i see a lot of people doing the same one they'll do the move and then they'll go ah yep yep what yep. is that and it's it's manufactured it's because yeah. it's because the, did the it, tommy dreamer or somebody. something yeah i mean anything any <laughs> any one of those yeah or, ah, or any yeah. of that so often, it's, it's, there's me. no real heart behind it's a move. it, man. It, 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 they're not all in on it when they put the it out there. You got to let it all hang out. It's the same thing as a move to them. They do yeah. a move and then they do this exactly. move, which is get the people behind you. And so, like I tell young guys, I see young guys do this all the time when they're doing what amounts to their comeback and they're doing like a bump and feed. It's bump. Come on, yeah, that's right. Come on, yes. Bah, come on, and I'm like, the minute I see that, I'm like, you're brand new because you're not comfortable. And the comfort, you'll know a guy. You and you'll know. You know a guy who's comfortable and who's not comfortable because it's the stuff in between the moves that he's doing. That's when you can tell he's comfortable. Oh, yeah. If he's looking like, what's next? Oh yes, it's hip toss. Oh yes, it's body slam. You can look or, in their eyes, exactly, man. You can exactly, see the wheels. Exactly, exactly. And it's because they're so. not staying in the moment. Right. Exactly. They're they're thinking, what's next? What's next? Yeah. What's next? Instead it'll of come, just man. Going. When you get there, it'll come. And yeah, and I tell everybody, it's the reps. You go to class and you learn how to do this stuff. Then you get in front of a crowd, and yeah. that's where you learn when to do it and why to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's the stuff in between when you can relax and interact with the crowd and react to the things that are being done yeah. around you, whether it's a fan heckling you or the referee talking to you or the manager on the floor engaging with you. Once you sort of get out of that what's next, what's next moment, then you can sort of relax and enjoy and tell a story and, 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 and interact with everybody where they know that it's 
spontaneous yeah. and not something that we talked about in the back yeah. because it is time to do this. You know, that makes me think of a match you had at PWG, I think, and some fan was heckling you, and you just get the mic at the end of your match, and you're like, "This guy couldn't even afford the good seats." Yes, yeah. Same way in the past. Is there <laughs> such thing as a bad seat? Not, not in PWG, I, but uh, right. I, I got hot because I remember that night. I got hot because the guy said basically he said I was phoning it in, and I got so furious. I usually let fans go when somebody, you know, hecklers. You you bought a ticket. You're allowed to heckle. You don't like me. That's cool. I'm not everybody's favorite flavor of vodka, but this guy. I was like, this guy's just phoning it in, boo. And I was like, I I went wow. nuts. I try yeah, not to man. swear. I try not to swear at 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 school or schools at uh, shows yeah. because you know we think there's kids out there, even PWG. But I was like, listen, dude, you don't know one damn thing about wrestling. I'm well, in damn. here. Well, no, I no, I'm <laughs> I'm censoring it here okay. for all of you because I completely went off yeah. on this guy. And I was like, you don't know a fucking thing about wrestling, man. I come out here and every bump I take could be my last one. Don't ever say I'm phoning it in. I never phoned it in ever exactly. once. I was furious, dude. If I had saw that guy and i was behind the wheel of my car he'd have been under my tires man it would be terrible hey uh let's talk about the ultimate x okay holy shit what a, what a con- that was like one of the things about tna that made me go like okay this is what's good about tna i dug it man yeah yeah, yeah. i dug the i dug the concept um i loved the the idea it was to me it's the newest thing or it was like the most original thing that tna had ever done that's right and probably still is um, and and to this day, I think if they had had a better, uh, if their if their public per- perception wasn't so bad right now, yeah. it would be much bigger of a deal. It's almost to me, it stands up there in, in terms of TLC matches like sure. that. Also, is a match that can stand and and, and it was and, an original concept. Exactly, it wasn't exactly. borrowed from from another. Yeah. The pro- the big problem that I had with it is that they went to that well so often. That's I right. think they've done. Like they've only they only started doing it in two thousand and four, and it's two thousand and seventeen now. So in thirteen years, they've probably done fifty. Mm. And yeah, and I know for a fact that I did like ten. And each time you have to try to top what, what right. you did before, man. And then you know, obviously, what happens when we do that? There yeah. were period, there were periods of time where. I felt like they did him so often, and I know for a fact myself and Frankie Kazarian, we went in with the idea of like we're going to kill ourselves, and they're never going to book us in this again because they yeah, know right. we're going to hurt ourselves. We just went in there with mad, like crazy ideas. I'll tell you an idea that we had that we never used because they changed the the, the setup of the Ultimate X. Um, the one that we did in uh, San Diego when when. Uh, when Bound for Glory was in San Diego or the Southern California area, there was an Ultimate yeah. X, and it was me, um, Frankie Kazarian as Suicide, Amazing Red, um, Homicide, and the Most Shady Machine Guns. And the original idea that we had for the finish was Frankie and I were going to climb opposite trusses because I had done the big dive yeah. once. I had done that as the finish. I dove from the top to get to the middle. I did that as the finish. So, And then Frankie, maybe two years later, he did the thing where someone was hanging in the middle he and, he, and he drug a leg drop. And so he basically, from the top rope, dropped the leg through the guy and yeah. landed on the deal. So this thing you're about to see... You see how the trusses are above us? Yeah. See, they had, that was the first time they had ever done trusses. Usually... There was no sort of ceiling on top of the, the oh, cables. Oh, yeah. I've never seen it like that They before. did that for a while because they couldn't plant. They couldn't connect, uh, They couldn't fasten the trusses to the ground okay. in Southern California. So the original finish for this match was going to be 
both of us diving yeah. from opposite deals. Frankie was going to dive first, and he was going to land. And as soon as he landed, I was going to dive and land on top of him. Yeah. So we were basically stacked on the middle of the X. We were going to fight to a position where we were basically standing on the cables. I was going to hook him like I was going to Angel's yeah. Wings him, and then he was going to oh. back on me. No, we, that was the that was what we did instead, which was even worse. <laughs> but the original so idea was Angel's wings. I was going to hook him for Angel's Wings yeah. as I was standing in the middle of the X. He was going to backdrop me. From there, I was going to take a backdrop from the middle of that X yeah. and land on my back in the ring, and then he was going to fall, and then the, whoever was going to win was going to finish. Yeah, that's crazy, man. I, I, so this this particular thing you're watching, instead, we decided that we were going to fight. I was going to try and basically do a flatliner, which is something I did, but because oh. my legs got hooked up, instead of falling flat back, I my legs got hooked, and basically I almost fell head first. It looked like you got that... Oh, man, But you notice, so uh, we were so tight together. I was holding on to him so tight that instead of falling flat, I turned like this and he took the brunt of it all. Okay. So it looks like I died. It looked there. like you dropped oh, that's yeah. on that's on when you look up Chris Daniels almost dies. That's yeah. the clip that comes up. So, and that, so this one here, like I'm used to the Ultimate X having a cage. Oh huh? right. No 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 this was always oh, never, this is always no, the trusses? It's always been the trusses, yeah. Huh. It's always been the trusses. Uh, and so yeah, so from that are, moment are you on thinking King of the Mountain? Yeah, no. King of the oh. okay. okay. I was like, King of the he did no, he did cage. a King of the Mountain oh, okay. match. He did a King I of the Mountain that. match. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed those matches. It was just we just weird. had to we just had to have somebody uh, tell Raven he needed to do promos so <laughs> we could actually put the match together. <laughs> Man, I that I I like the idea of trying to do something yeah. fresh, but that one to me always seemed very complicated in its mm. rules. You know what I mean? Like this guy's pinned, so he's in the cage. This guy that pinned him is now eligible to climb, that sort of stuff. So Yeah, but aren't you already up there where the pro like I thought there was an X that you had to grab. Yeah, but it's underneath us. Like it's on the it's cables. On the it's cables. actually yeah. on the cables. So using the trusses, we fought on top of the trusses and then we went down to uh-huh. where the belt was hanging. And then as we were fighting we got hooked up and we fell. Right after that bump, Red comes through there and he grabs the belt. The other two guys you see yeah. the guns the guns are climbing opposite sides. They're going to go to the center of the cable, and Red's going to beat him down no. and get it from the top there. And the reason you couldn't do the spot you wanted was because the truss the was trusses there, were there. So now. you would have hit the truss, and then yeah, well, there was no ceiling. Yeah, yeah. like we couldn't dive to the center because that that truss yeah. was there. So yeah, that was the that was the alternative. We thought that was a better idea. It wasn't. Huh. It was poor. Yeah. I went backstage, and Samoa Joe goes, "Don't you ever do that again!" No kidding, like man. at the top of his lungs. Like I thought he was going to kill me I'd there. I've been like, for "Don't worry, dying. I won't." Yeah, no. <laughs> I did, man. I absolutely said that was a one-time thing. Huh. Trust me. Okay, four-sided or six-sided ring? I never. It never bothered me either way. The one thing that did take getting used to in a six-sided ring. Yes, four, I know exactly what you're going to say. Cor- four corner rings. Yep. Uh, the angle of 90. the corners is 90 degrees, so yep. it's easy to stand on the top rope. You get six sided rings, and it's like 135. It's ridiculous, yeah. and it's hard to stand on the top rope. So once I figured out a way to stand on the top rope, everything was fine. Like to me. Bumping in the ring, hitting the ropes, it, it's all comparable to me. For me, it's it was it was a big issue because since 1991, Silver King, my, one of my first matches in Japan, right? Uh, Silver King open handed me in the side of the hat and burst in my eardrum. Oh, so your your balance is probably all wanky. from that, okay. from then on. Okay, yeah. So like for me to climb up there, I, it was always a chore, man. I'm telling you, man, I just standing up there and I figured it out. Like I figured, but you definitely stand differently yep. in the six sided ring than a four sided ring, and it's so much easier in a four sided ring because you've got that balance. Other than that, I didn't have a problem with it. Yeah, me neither. Because I don't me really neither. need to work the ropes that much. Yeah, you know? and and. and 
they always said like, oh, they're they're tighter ropes because they're shorter. I That's okay. My, yeah, I, I like that tight means ropes. You can jump up on them, exactly. and they're not going to be exactly. as flimsy. Right, right, right. Yeah. So and yeah, and and like they, um, some guys would say like because the. I don't know if the structure, like that the middle, was tighter. Yeah. So what? T- st- stiff rings never bothered me. Like I never took a bump in a ring where I was like, Ugh, "I'll never bump again." In here, I was like, eh, "It's a bump." Unless somebody has wrestled in a, in a late '80s, early '90s right. WWE, I never ring. did. I, I don't want to hear it. Right, man. right. I've heard stories about the, the old boxing rings, and they didn't. Yeah, it was like a billiard table, man. <laughs> you never yeah. fall on a billiard table. I, I, I can imagine. I never yeah. had to. I never had to, but I know what it's like, so I can figure it out. Oh man. So yeah, those were brutal, man. And, and um, I wasn't the story. Like it wasn't until Vince started taking bumps. He's like, God damn, why is this so pain? Yeah. Let's make these soft. That's right. Yeah, exactly. It was Let's when, it was when I left soft. WCW to go. Well, when I didn't just leave. Right, I right. Understood. Right. <laughs> but. That was one of the things Jr. Uh, that was one of the things Jim Ross was his major selling points. Is right, we're getting new rings. Yeah, good. Which when I got back, sometimes we had them and sometimes we didn't. Right. And you could tell which matches uh, we did. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Can we talk about UPW? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So you did a documentary. I think it was in 2001. I have it right here. The Body Slam documentary. Yes. For UPW. Yes. And I. I I love this documentary, not only because it shows all the different aspects, but I think it's crazy. Like, you're the only one still wrestling that was in this. Yeah, yeah. That- and, and the funny thing, too, like, I I got that not because I was a UPW guy, because I never really was a UPW guy. I don't think Rick Bassman ever looked at me as one of his guys. Really? No, because he didn't train me. Like, he had guys like, you know, Heidenreich and... Yeah. and um, Nathan like, Jones, Nathan and Jones. Joe, and but I mean not not oh. even Joe. You can't really count Joe as a UPW guy either. And I don't think like Rick Bassman had his guys that he pushed for, and those guys that got the the developmental deals through UPW. And I wasn't one, and and that's fine because I, I I didn't train there. I tried to help out, but I understood like Rick Bassman had his guys that he was bringing from the ground up, and yep. I wasn't, so I was fine with that. But this particular documentary, it was me, wasn't Heidenreich, me, the girl, the uh, girl that Dazan, was married to Malibu right? from. Uh, and then who's American the other? Gladiators. There's one other guy, right? There was uh, four of us. Chris, I believe his name is. Is it Chris Bell? No. Oh, uh, like um, Chris Evans? No? no. No, no, no. Hey, wasn't I supposed to have a match with you some at some point in UPW? No. I don't know. That would have been cool. I I, I, I wish we had. I, I wish I'm we had. I'm sure that was like Rick. Was I know. To get me on a show. I know I'm that sure we mentioned that. I know that me and Tom Howard worked <clears throat> Kevin and Scott. Oh yeah, you guys went over, right? Oh god, it was yeah. terrible. Well, here's the thing. Bassman, Bassman comes up to us and he goes, "Yeah, okay, um, you guys, you guys, uh, you guys up." And I go, "What are you doing? Are you kidding me? These guys haven't tagged in forever. You're going to bring them here and we're going to put me and Tom over?" And he goes, "Yeah, it's good for us." I'm like, "No, it's, no, not. it's not. It's, it's terrible. The, it's it's terrible for us." And we went out there, and of course, Scott and Kevin are over like like yeah. like Grover, and we go out there. and I'm like, "Oh God, this is so bad." This is and so you know bad. they don't care though. No, Vulcan, they're, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, finish? exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I was like, "No, guys, please." And I tried to tell Rick, I was like, "Please, we will win by going out there and Having being competitive. Yeah, yeah, just doing something. Please put them over." Nope, nope, nope. I was like, "Ugh." So we beat them in the crowd, like, That's, and I, I still, like, I still oh. see. I still see promoters that insist on doing that shit, mm-hmm. and it's just asinine. I know it never works. Right? Never. If they, I mean, the best way to do it is just to go out there and give that guy a hell of a match. Right? You know, I mean, I mean, unless they. The thing is, is if they're bringing a star in, right? It's usually not a heel that people hate, like, or you know, does that make any sense? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's someone it, that they want to yeah, see. Yeah, someone they want to see. Yeah. He um he did it one time too. 
he had and this was uh, he had a match where Crash Holly came in and wrestled John Cena. And this was before John Cena was John Cena. John He's Cena still was still prototype. prototype. Yeah. And and he goes, Yeah, we're gonna put John up. And I go, wait, wait, Crash is Crash is a star. John doesn't lose by by losing to this guy. He earns that respect, he earns that uh that match. And and he goes, Yeah, but Crash Holly Crash Holly's like low on the totem pole in, in WWE. And I go, Perhaps so. But you look at the difference between the worst guy on the Chicago Cubs. And one of the best guys that isn't in the major, major league leagues. baseball. Do you know what I mean? Crash Holly is still at that point. He was still a WWF superstar. Yeah. So John losing to him then wouldn't have been bad, especially because he was a heel. Yeah. Crash Holly was a babyface, and of course John going over it was like, oh, okay, you know, someone we like just lost. Meh. Sure. When so, I was okay, when like going backwards a little bit to when we. When that first time I remember seeing you, right? That TV's like that was right around the same time that John was coming around. They were looking at him too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was a little bit prior to him, but he yeah. started to come around right around that period of time. I actually, uh, I had, I had, I had a dark match the night that Austin and Mike Tyson uh, had their face off because that was done here in Cali somewhere. Oh, wow. And I remember um, it was me and this guy named. Uh, it was an Irish guy, big tall Irish guy. And then um, Crash Holly and Vic Grimes also had a dark match uh-huh. that night, and that was one of the first times that Crash got looked at in terms of like bringing. When him he on. was Aaron O'Grady. Yep, yep. yep. May he rest in peace. Yes. Yeah. Mikey Henderson was the other one in the body slam. Oh, okay, match. okay, uh, all right. That you're fighting against, and then he screws you out, and you have to leave. And then in that documentary, it shows your TN or your WCW, WCW tryout where with I Mike Modest, mm-hmm. where you do that. Now, not only do you take this. Terrible! Oh, it's horrible. It's so scary. But then I watched the rest of this match, and you're doing, like, skin the cats back into yep. the ring. You're doing dive to the outside. You guys wrestled a full eight-minute match Yeah. after this crazy bump. Neck break where yeah, I almost that, broke my neck. Yes. Yeah, and your arm goes limp. Yeah. What was this like for you? Uh, terrifying. Um, I It was the worst injury I'd ever had at that point because I'd had stingers before. Um, I'd had stingers before, and... You know, you 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 get bumped. Yeah, here it okay, is. Why here it comes? Oh. Yoink! Oh, Bonk! No, so man. I landed on my head, and I've had stingers before where you get it, and yes. all of a sudden the, the the feeling comes back. It didn't. It stayed numb, and you watch my arm now, and it's oh. dangling, and I lost all feeling in my shoulder and my trap all the way down. At least the other one still works. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we wrestled this whole match. The I whole was, thing. Mike Modest was a, a heck of a wrestler. Yeah, man. I had a great yeah. I had great experiences with him and, and he was great to work with. And he he never, seems like another guy that always was like an extra and enhancement talent but never got picked up. It was like they all he was very well respected, but for some reason they never just they just never brought him in full time. Yeah, um they actually he was already hired at this point there at WCW. So he and I sort of were under contract when it went down but um like when they were doing the beyond the mat he was one of the guys in beyond the mat yeah. him and tony jones and um, tony I, jones a black guy yes yeah yeah i always got the impression that part of the problem that they saw in mike was that mike looked older than he was do you know what i mean he was already yeah. getting like the receding hairline and so like physically speaking he looked great he was thick he was muscular i mean he was a cruiserweight i mean in terms of in yeah. terms of like he was a shorter guy he was shorter than i was and i'm only 5'10 so i mean when you're that short but yeah. you're super thick they it look makes at you look shorter at, yeah exactly yeah. and then and i think he looked older than he did because of his hair and so um I, I think that was one of the reasons why that never really worked out for him even though he was 
completely great and yeah. for a while had a good lot of buzz about him. I always thought I think that's hair, working against him. It looks like you were still trying to hold on to I some did, in that man. match. I was I, <laughs> I I had hair probably three years longer than I should have and once it got dark and I said, Oh God, you could tell I blonded it out. Yeah. And so that that kept it on for a while because my hair and my scalp looked the same color uh-huh. and you couldn't tell where one started and the other finished. I'm still trying to do that. Oh, obviously man. you can tell once once I realized, man, this this isn't I can't hold on anymore. There's nothing. There's no other way I can make this happen to where it looks like it's a full head of hair. Once I shaved it, I literally, everybody was like, you should have shaved it years ago. Yeah. And I realized, like, this is one of the reasons, too, I think people don't realize how old I am. Yeah. And I think because I've looked the same way since 2002, um, like, it's like, God, you're still going? How old are you? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm 104. You know what I mean? <laughs> they just look at me like, oh, you've, I, I've looked the same. So they don't see the age. Uh, I feel the age, but I don't. I, I wish don't I wish I had the guts to do it to to just shave mine. I was thinking about it while I was sitting in jail the other day. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> headlines would have been crazy. You came out with Come a shaved jail, head. Right, right. Oh well, man, I was, it was just everywhere, and I'm just like, oh, just I wish I could just get rid of it. See, man. I always wanted that was what I was always going for was the long hair and the ponytail that I could put all the way yeah. back. And once I grew it out, like this stuff here. I, the funny thing was I never understood conditioner or any of that. I was just like wet hair. I would go out and it would just, when it dried out, clown? oh, completely, completely <laughs> just froze out. And yeah. I was like, ugh. So for a while I had the, the short everywhere yeah. except the ponytail. And um, and then finally I was like, ugh, this is no good. I, I pull mine back in the ponytail and cover up my huge bald spot. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. It still looks good on you, though. So, I mean, yeah, it's still, the, tony, the ponytail still, yeah, you're gonna, still rocking. I, you know, I had hair transplants like a year and a half ago, and they okay. just never grew in. Because it was the same time I messed my my shoulder and my arm up really right. bad, and I was all swollen up. When uh, I, and so they, they didn't take. Oh, I got you. I went through I all you. that, and they, they, they never work. grew in. Uh, I, I, might, I might try it again, or I might just say the hell with it. And I had a, um, I went down to Bosley Hair Transplant yeah. and had a, the consultation, yeah. and they showed me the picture. They take the picture from up here. And at the time, uh, this was like 2000, 2001, they were like, okay, well, you can't work out for three months, and we, you probably shouldn't wrestle for like nine months. And at that point, I was like, well, wait a minute. It's going to cost me X. I won't be able to earn money for a year. Or I could buy a $5 razor and shaving cream. And, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I did. And And now, like, you can't even imagine you not being a bald guy. When I see pictures of me with hair now, it looks like I'm wearing, like, something on top of a bald head. Like a hat of hair. It looks terrible. (laughs) So I should have shaved it in, like, 98. But I did it in 2001 or two or something. So. Maybe if you shaved it, they would have hired you. Maybe so. Maybe so. They they fired a lot of guys because they wouldn't cut their hair. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. I mean, people don't don't think that that would be a thing, but it is, man. Yeah. Or they might not have got fired or whatever, but they, they might have been. Them. Yeah. Yeah. We talk, okay, I talk to Frankie about I talk to Frankie about that all the time. He sure. talks about it too. But oh man. yeah, they were trying to get me to cut my hair at one point. Oh, I right. wasn't going to do it. Right. Yeah, right. Right. Shave the beard and everything. I'm like, I don't like my chin. Well, see, so so many times I. Some of the stuff that, like, for example, Russo asked me to do at TNA, it was just stuff to do. I felt like he was like, grow a beard. And I was like, okay. Right. But was I that mean, in your feud with Sting? Right. Is that he was you like, had a grow beard? a beard. And he goes, you should do something like a face tattoo. And I was like, okay. And he had that no, idea for one? a couple. No, no, no. God, no. He was like, obviously, we weren't going to get a face yeah. tattoo. He did the same thing with Joe. He made Joe do, like, face paint mm. for a good year. And it was just like, it's just stuff. Oh, I didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I didn't like that at all. Yeah, yeah not on stuff. Joe. Yeah, how, yeah, about, yeah. How, was your, how was your experience working with Vince Russo? Um, 
Not great. I uh-huh. mean, he and I, uh, we never really saw eye to eye. I think, no, that's not true. There were periods of time where we were seeing eye to eye. But in the end, my experience with him, I always felt like if things weren't going a certain way, he always had a reason that wasn't because of him. It was someone yeah. else. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and, and he's he's always said, you know what, and, and I'll clear the air on something. Vince Russo has always said that I don't thank him for the things that he did for me. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. So, Vince, thank you for trying to book me into that angle with Sting. I really appreciated that. Thank you for putting me together with Loki and Eagle Skipper. That was great. And uh, thank you very much for talking them into booking myself and AJ Styles in the main event instead of Travis Tonko and AJ Styles in the main event after the second time we did Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles when he nice. was AJ when he was heavyweight champion. Um, so yeah, those were things that Vince Russo did for me. Um, there were other things that Vince Russo did that weren't necessarily against me, but he wrote stuff that basically made me look bad. And yeah. then he would go, "Hey, you're not over." And I and Wonder I felt why. like the, the thing, yeah, the thing that I always felt was like there are two sides to that. Like I can go out there and do everything you want. And if it doesn't get over, you have to then go, okay, well, what I'm writing isn't getting him over. So, I mean, that was, I think, that was always our, uh, that was always our argument. Mm. Like, he always had other reasons why things weren't going well. I, there was a period of time, I would never come back from a, sh- from a match, from anything he did, or whatever, anything he wrote. I would never fin- do it and come back and go, did you like it? I would say, was that what you wanted? And he always nice. went, yes, yes. So... In my eyes, if I went out and did everything you asked me to do, and I did it the way you wanted me to, and it didn't get me over, then now you have to look at yourself and go, okay, what I'm writing isn't getting someone over. I have to write in a different way. I had this discussion with him. I said, Vince, you're the writer. Your job is to spotlight my strengths and hide my weaknesses. What do you think will get me over? And his exact response was, bro, your work is going to get you over. Your work. And so he wanted me to be the wrestler. Yeah. And then, so I went out there, I did, a, I did an angle, or I did this stuff where I came out and said, I'm going to be the best wrestler in the company. And then I went out, and I lost all the time. And I was losing to everybody. And I went, well, wait a minute, now I'm not the best wrestler. So you've taken the one thing that's supposed to be my thing, and now you're making everybody else better at it than me. And then you're like, hey, bro, you're not getting over and so, like, I got let go in 2010. I came back in 2011, and he actually had a meeting with everybody. And he pointed me out, and he goes, Chris, the reason we let you go is because you weren't over. And I go, okay. But in the back of my mind, I'm going, but that's not all my fault. It's Some of it has to come to you, too. Said that because, in front of other people? Yeah, all of us. Nice. Everybody. Yeah. And, and you know, I, it wasn't to bury me. It was like he was trying to have this discussion with the talent. Like, basically, his point was, trust us to write. And go out there and wrestle and trust us. And my response to that was, we've trusted you for a long time and it didn't work out that way. So now you have to look and go, okay, this isn't working. But they never did. It was always like, ah, this isn't working because this. This isn't working because of that. It was never, this isn't working because, ah, what I'm doing isn't working. So So is that what happened in like the Fortune segment with like you and Ric Flair? And he's like, oh, you got a Rolex kid? Was that like Vince Russo? No, 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 no. That was just Rick... That was just Rick burying me, <laughs> really. Oh, wow. And honestly, and I've always thought, I always, I always thought, like I had, I had a. As soon as he buried me, he get, we had that promo, and the whole point was supposed to be me and Bully Ray, 
And Ricks came out first, and he goes, "Bah! I don't even know who you are." Oh, wow. And the fans were chanting my name, and he goes, "These people don't count." And in my head, I literally, <laughs> I literally, this, I literally almost said this. I almost said, "Rick, you don't know who I am because you've been drunk this whole time you've been here." And I thought nice. if I had said that, it completely would have got me over. Right. But at the same time. It would have like buried Rick a little bit, and I sure. didn't want to bury Rick because he's Ric Flair, and I would never bury anybody. But I mean, he also too, he was like, "Hey, man, whatever you say to me out there, I know we're just trying to work to make this thing." So I don't think he would have been specifically mad. He wouldn't have been hot, but because that, I used to hear some of the stuff I said to him on right. TV. But the point of that, the point of that, the business yeah. of that segment wasn't me and Rick; it yeah. was me and Bubba, okay. and so that I didn't say it. Actually, and I was like, eh, okay. Actually, I take that back. He might have gotten hot, but he wasn't going to do nothing about it. Right, right, right. Yeah, he might have said, like, hey, man, don't say that again. And yeah. I, I would have been like, sorry, Rick, you sort of forced my hand. But, yeah. I, you know, that was one of the things, too, like, where you go out there and you try and work it on the fly. But at the same time, I was like, if I get into this with him, now I'm completely going away from what yeah. we're supposed to be doing. Because the match was going to be me and Bubba, like, In four seconds later. In hindsight, would you have done it different? <sighs> I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I That was always in my head. I was like, what if I had done that? And I don't know what the response would have been. Yeah. I might have gotten yelled at by the by Vince and them. That wasn't the point of the segment. You know? It, did you, you don't know. What well, was the point of the segment? To bury me? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that was just Rick, you know, getting fired up and going off as Rick right. would do every once in a while. Maybe just, like, get color for no reason and <laughs> spew it all over people in the front row. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Rick, you know, <laughs> Rick was Rick, and he would do stuff, and, and he would feel it. I mean, he would feel it, and that was his thing. And no one was ever going to, oh, Rick, you need to do what we tell you. It was he was great. great at that. Yes. Um, yeah, amazing, yeah. man. Yeah. Like, I, I could say little things and make little, like, uh, playful jabs about, like, Nate, but, man, it was just an honor to, to do, even when he tried burying me. It was yeah. an honor to be buried by Nate's boy, Rick Flair. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. that period of time, where it was like the immortal goddess versus the fortune and I was thrown yeah. into that. That was fun and, and yeah, you you want to do that sort of stuff with guys like yeah. that and learn from them. And and but like at that point when that all happened, I thought, okay, I could, I could, but it's probably not best. So I ate it and, yeah. and if I suffered because of it or if my public persona suffered because Rick was burying me, to me that was a small price to sure. keep the to keep the path we were supposed to get yeah. and hey, so um, you know, not because I mean, we could keep you for out. Oh, well, we could if, yeah. as long as you. As long I'm as you, here as long as you yeah, want. Yeah, the thing is, I don't want to do that to you, but I, I want to talk about uh, your your uh, tag team with Frank Kazarian because okay. I'm a big fan of that man. Oh, talk to you. me about how that ended up. Um, being. Okay, there was a period of time in TNA where it was right near the end of Fortune, and so Fortune was Bobby Roode and James Storm, AJ, myself, and Frankie. And they were splitting Bobby and James. And AJ was always, you know, they always had ideas for AJ. And I felt like they didn't really have a path for me. They didn't really have a path for Frankie. And so they had started doing the the turn of me against AJ. Um, but I also felt like, okay, well, that's short term. Because they've always gone to me and AJ as a thing. Yep. And they've always put that's AJ right. over strong. And I always felt like, well, you just... Every time we go back to that and you push AJ over again, you just remind people that I'm not as good as AJ. Which, you know, whatever. I, AJ, AJ 100% was always the guy, and that's fine. But they knew you'd it. have a great match yes, with him. Yes, exactly, exactly. But I, I realized that... Different. Right, I wasn't... At that point, I realized, okay, we need to do something for me. And Frankie didn't have anything going, so we pitched the idea of doing the tag team. And then they came back with the idea of me trying to blackmail AJ or me trying to blackmail Frankie and the idea of uh, first 
the original idea was Frankie had had a relation, uh, a, a behind the scenes relationship with AJ's sister, and that was going to be the reason. Like if, if I didn't, if I didn't tell, if I told AJ that AJ or that Frankie and his sister were together, he would be mad, and so that was why Frankie was doing what I want him to do. Yeah. And AJ's response was. Dude, if Frankie and my sister got together, I'd be thrilled. He's one of my best friends. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so then Frankie had the idea of, okay, well, let's let's do it where Frankie knows the secret of AJ and Dixie, and that all turned into me and Frankie trying to blackmail AJ and Dixie, and then me and Frankie trying to blackmail AJ and this girl that he might have had a, a daughter with or a, a kid out of wedlock yeah. with. But, I mean, because of that, even the parts of that angle that didn't work, the one thing that did was Frankie and our our chemistry. Yeah. Because we'd always been friends and we always had like minds as far as like putting matches together. So like once that happened, um, the team that ended up becoming that influence, me and Frankie, yeah. that became something that was entertaining and Eric Bischoff and Jason Hervey they sort of let us go do what we wanted to do, and we could always go to them and go, what about this, what about this? And we had a great relationship between the four of us trying to build segments and build yeah. uh, promos and stuff like that. That like, like that whole angle that you're talking about, that whole thing, it, it seemed kind of convoluted, man. A lot, a lot of stuff going on. Like I just don't think that's needed. The original idea was, the original idea was that this girl was supposed to be a niece of Dixie's, a relative, and because she was going through drug problems, AJ was her sponsor, and that was why they were getting together. Because uh, Dixie, as the public figure, didn't want to be associated with it, but she also wanted to get help for her niece. So AJ was the sponsor, and because AJ's a good Christian kid, that's why he would do that. And so we, uh, at the same time, though, this girl was supposed to have a kid, and we were going to say, oh, AJ and her slept together. And this was a kid that was supposed to, because this was all supposed to happen in the past. This was all supposed to happen while we were still friends. So it wasn't supposed to happen right then and there. So we were like, okay, this this girl has a, a daughter or a son that's like a year or two old. And then we would be like, okay, that's AJ's kid. And we were gonna do a gimmick where AJ would um me and AJ would fight. I would get color on him, and then I would take like the blood-soaked towel and use that to get a DNA test. And the end result was going to be Maury Povich. We had talked to Jason Hervey about having Maury Povich and having Maury Povich. AJ Styles, yes. And Jason Hervey, Jason Hervey, the minute we mentioned Maury Povich, he goes, My agent and his are the same. I'll talk to Maury. So the idea was going to be we were telling the world that AJ had this child uh, taking advantage of this girl while she was vulnerable, going through um, uh, drug addiction. Yes, um, AA or whatever. And and the end result was going to be AJ Styles. You are not the father, and we were like, "What?" And then AJ beats the crap out of us. <laughs> I knew it was going to be Maury like, but I didn't know you guys were going to get Maury. Yeah, and and see, the the trick was they we wanted it to be someone that was already born. We didn't want you know. And then they were like, "Oh no, he's had this girl. She's pregnant now." And we were like, wait a minute, AJ's not sleeping with her now. This is something that we all knew when we were friends, mm. and that's why I'm trying to blackmail him now that I'm a bad guy. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it did get all... Whose creation was this? Um, it started out as, as I want to say, I want to say Vince, Eric, and Jason, the idea yeah. of that. And then Frankie and myself and AJ put ideas to it, and then we yeah. all sort of got together and, and tried to make the best of it. And then the girl quit in the middle because she was a Universal Studios employee, and people were finding out who she really was uh. and just burying her on television. And she just not she didn't show up one day because because right. she was also trying to be an actress, and she felt like all of this publicity was right. bad for her. So yeah, she just quit one day, and like we had to do it without her. We had to do the, the big reveal with a different person as a lawyer going... Um, 
she 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 wrote out a letter yeah. that says that this was all CD and Kaz's plan, and yeah, we just made the best of, of a bad situation at the end. Hey, wow. sorry, my, my little baby Lula down here. Is <laughs> no, no sweat, no like sweat. A- I knew, I, I, knew it was, I knew it was the puppy dog. I knew it was the puppy dog. I see you guys catching eyes like, she's really loud. Isn't she? I, thought she was, I thought she was either growling or she was hungry. Like well, one of the others. Because like, she yes. can't close her mouth. Right, right, right. And I don't know what's going on, but boy. She's out cold. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to bore you, Lula. My bad. <laughs> Almost, I know I talk a lot. Hey, so, Chris, you just mentioned, okay, Vince. Russo, mm-hmm. uh, Eric Bischoff, mm-hmm. and Jason Hervey. How mm-hmm. was that with those guys working together? Like the dynamic between Eric and Vince, and you know, I, to me it seemed okay. Got, I mean, yeah, I mean they got. Well a, I don't. I don't know if they worked well together. I know that they always had their own ideas, and I think when you get two guys with strong convictions yeah. about their ideas, you might get a little bit of this. But to my eyes, I never saw like. You're the shits. No, you're the shits. I never saw that sort of flare-up. I I, thought that they were working well together near the end. But I just thought that, okay, they brought those guys in, and then they still let Vince write the TVs. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, he was still writing the TVs, even though, like, okay, when they brought Scott and Kevin and I in, Mm -hmm. you know, with Hogan and all that, um, like, I, I didn't realize that Vince was... Still writing, right, 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 so, right. And it would have been to me. It would have been good to let somebody else take over the creative at that point, just to. But that, that's just my opinion. Yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, you know, those are those are decisions that are made yeah. above our heads. Of and course. what can you do? You just literally on it like I always did, and <laughs> well, it doesn't do you any good. Yeah, I mean, the best, the most we ever did. All we realized was that me, especially, or my, me and my crew, AJ, yeah. Joe, Frankie, all the guys that yeah. were in the X division. Our mindset was. We can't change this. You know, nothing we say is going to make them go, you know what, the X Division's right. We need to change or we need to do this. We just tried to get the best, whatever they gave us, we tried to make the best of it we could. Right. And sometimes if we brought up something like, hey, this doesn't work or this would be better this way, sometimes they'd listen and sometimes they'd get offended and be like, no, just do what we tell you. That's what I ran into all the time. That was was my problem was like, it was there wasn't any like room for like hey how about we do this no now, it had see, to be right that way now see that was the good thing about when uh, Eric and Jason were doing the stuff with me and Frankie it was 100% like oh that's a good idea oh I felt like between the four of us when we would get together the mindset was let the best idea win yeah and, and I've always everyone said, has to have input that's involved or it's it, to me like it, it doesn't work well. Right. Or not nearly as well. Something, something Vince said to me once was, was, I don't tell you how to wrestle. Don't tell me how to write. And I, I, I felt that both sides of that were wrong. Yes. A, you do sort of tell me how to wrestle sometimes, and I'll do what you ask me to do. But at the same time, too, I'm not a writer. Well, I am a little bit, but I'm not, not, like, I don't, I'm not a writer like he was a writer. But at the same yeah. time, I'm a storyteller. And I understand how to tell stories, and I understand how to, you know, further characters and get certain points made. So I mean, I felt like my opinion was valuable to be heard, at least to be heard, at least understand why my point of view is this. And if you go, no, this is why it has to be this way. At least I've been heard. But a lot of times it was, I think this should be like this. No, shut up, do what I say. Well, that that's just like, Ugh. okay, yeah. And and a lot of times it was like, Ugh. it just. It- yeah, it, I mean, it takes a little bit of the wind out of your sails. Exactly, man. exactly. Yeah, yeah you, I, it, it's hard. It made it hard sometimes to be excited to work when you felt like you were getting a lot of struggle to make it better or try to make yeah. it better. You know what I mean? And not that everything they did was bad. It, it wasn't. It wasn't the case. It was hit and miss. Like everything is. Everything is hit and miss. Nobody's hitting hundred percent ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
so like but when you saw things that we all grew up as fans yep. so if we look at something and we think wait a minute this is why it doesn't work or this won't work because then you have to understand that the fans are probably going to think that way and we wanted to get it catch it before it got to the point where the fans pointed yes. out, hey, that's the shit. And they might not think about it consciously, but on the subconscious level, it's in there. They right. know something's either right or, right. Just not, or just a little bit off. Right. I mean, that's I mean, that's just how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, when when we finally had that sort of back and forth uh, relationship with Eric and Jason, that was probably the best period yeah. of time creatively that Frankie and I had, and I felt uh, that we were one of the most over aspects of the show at that point yeah. which made it more disappointing when our contract ran out and they were like eh and you're like okay well whatever I thought I thought that we as Bad Influence there was a period of time where we were really really good and about as good a team as you get man. yeah and, and they felt I felt like they were going out of their way to do to feature everyone but us yeah and I was like alright alright and, and the funny thing was Frankie and I Frankie was like Oh, they're getting rid of us. They're getting rid of us. I go, no, no, they keep, they're not getting rid of us. I think it'll come back around. And I would look around and I'd be like, there's no one left. It has to come back around to us. And then in the end, Frankie was right. They were getting wow. rid of us. So I was trying to be positive. But eh. Why'd you guys change the name from Bad Influence to The Addiction? Um, once we made it on TNA, it was a TNA like work for hire. So like when we left, Frankie asked. We were like, hey, we'd like to be Bad Influence because in the originally it was our idea they didn't even want to call us bad influence we were doing it on our own and then it got over and then when they left we left they were like well you can't call yourselves bad influence because we own it yeah, even like, though we're never going to use it again exactly and they never did we're, you're not going to use it exactly exactly <laughs> and i've never see to me i've never understood that and that's sort of like even like the thing with the hardies yeah. with that going broken on head, broken that whole thing yeah. like if they really wanted to use it they would have made an effort to meet and give Matt and Jeff what they wanted, yep. but for them to go, okay, we don't want the broken, we don't want the broken Hardys, and then let them go off, and then be mad that they're trying to do that which they created somewhere else. It's like you obviously didn't want it that badly, or you would have made the deal to keep it. And so I, I always felt like that was just sort of like sore yeah. feelings. You know what I mean? Like sure. a, a spiteful. Well, you know what? If we can't play with your toy, no yeah, one can no play one with can your toy. With it. It's like so, that. so, but now. As the addiction, or not the addiction? Is it the, the addiction? addiction? Yeah, the addiction. Okay. I didn't know if there was a the. In there part is, of it. yeah. There, we do, we're not just any addiction. We're the addiction. <laughs> so. so what a what a difference a name change makes because like all of a sudden you guys are in ROH and boom. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and the 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 atmosphere in Ring of Honor is a lot more laid back in that respect. Like they. They we came to them with the name. They're like, okay, it's your name. You know what I mean when you go away, if you go away, and they don't want us to go away, and we sure. don't want to go away either. But I mean, it's yours. I mean, that's your creation. You did this, and so um, yeah. And that was Frankie's idea too. The idea like w things that start out as a bad influence can soon turn into an addiction, and so sure. that was his idea. So 100 percent his call. And well, I mean, I was kind of being a half like half-ass kidding, like because I mean, it's just a different uh, right. I mean, different atmosphere. Like I was, what I was getting, I was, I was going to ask you tell us, tell us the, uh, the big difference between you know your experience in TNA and go, and now with, with ROH. Um, for me, well, first of all, I've always gone out and said how much I appreciate Ring of Honor making the room for me and Frankie. Yeah, like I always had a good relationship with them, and I felt like 
if the opportunity arose that I would be able to go back. But I had no idea that they would also let Frankie, because Frankie didn't really have that history that I had with Ring yeah. of Honor. But, um, he's we, so good, though. Yeah, oh, he's, yeah. Ab- he's absolutely great. He's one of the best the best I've ever... He's literally the best tag team partner I've ever had. Nice. And, you yeah, know... Saying something? Yeah, had I've had a lot. Partners. I've had a lot. But um, uh, when we got there, they gave us the opportunity to, to prove that we could compete at a Ring of Honor level. And, you know, they put us in there with Red Dragon the very first night, yeah. and we had a really good match with those guys. Had a good opportunity to work with them, with the Briscoes, with Motor City Machine Guns, um, doing stuff with the Young Bucks over the last two yeah. years. Um, I feel like that has uh, sort of cemented our place as far as, like, being a good tag team in the business. And, um, you know, I think people will look back at what me and Frankie did over both companies as, as something of merit. Absolutely, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. How does it feel to go from being in the first main event of the first Era of Honor Begins show against uh, Brian Danielson and Loki to winning the, t- the Ring of Honor title at the 15-year anniversary? Um, I think it, it was, first of all, it's very, it was a very emotional moment for me. Um, you know, the idea that they finally saw merit in having the title on me. Because, you know, necessarily you've been around, you've had championships, and you, there are championships that you never had. And you're like, okay, I'm good with that. And, and honestly, if you'd asked me a year ago if I would retire without being world champion, if I would be okay, honestly, I would have been okay. It's nice now that I don't have to think that way yeah. because I've, I've gotten it. But, um, yeah, I, I think, like, me winning it now, it wouldn't have had the same effect if I had won it in 2006 or in 2010. Like, the story of me winning it, 15 years after and 24 years in my career, I think that was a good 50% of the story. The idea that I failed so often that this, what conceivably would have been my last title shot, that's what made it so such a memorable moment. And um, the, the storyline of Frankie joining the Bullet Club, I felt like that got... We couldn't have tri- we couldn't have pulled that off any better, I felt. And just the reaction that we had from fans when Frankie turned... He got so much hate on Twitter, and there was so yeah. much, and and people were speculating that he and I were going to go off and have this blood feud once I lost the title match, and then just the reaction the day after we me winning, um, just seeing people's reaction like, oh, you got us. It's so hard to get people sometimes. Yeah, and I felt like we we just had the perfect storm of of great guys in with their characters on social media, the story on television, and just the timing of it all. You know, I realized that. I don't have much left. I don't have much longer left in right. the ring. And it was a cool story to tell that that idea of the guy getting his one last ride almost with this title. And, and it means a lot. It absolutely does. Really awesome. made me feel good. Yeah, cool, man. And, and yeah. that's that was the thing. I felt like I, I literally spent... 20 minutes out of every hour the next two days thanking people on Twitter because people reached out to me publicly on Twitter, direct messaging me, texts, all of these ways. And it's so many people, guys that I haven't had a chance to even talk to or see. Uh, but, I mean, people that I've worked with in the past that reached out to me and were like, hey, man, congratulations. It, made, it felt great to see you deserve it, that sort of stuff. And I felt like if I... Uh, if my interactions with those people were so positive that when my day came around, they felt compelled to reach out to me, then I feel like I've done well. I always yeah. really wanted the respect of the people I yeah. worked with. And I to know that they respected me enough to even in this business and knowing what this business is to reach out and 
congratulate me for this. I, it, it meant a lot. It really and, did. And, man, to me, what, what it shows is that hard work always pays off when you mm-hmm. have the talent and the good attitude to go with it. Man. Yeah. No yeah. matter what. If you stay in, it's it comes. That's something Mike Moran, uh, the one of the Texas hangmen, he was one of the first guys that was a mentor to me. And he said to me, talent will always rise to the top. Just you got to keep working, keep your nose clean, keep a good attitude, yeah. and it'll come around. It will come around because... Honestly speaking, we see so many guys in the business, but I mean, if you take a step back, you can count the really good ones on, you know, there's a, it's a smaller amount than you think. It's a smaller amount than you think. And so like, if if you work hard, that stuff's going to come around for you. So I was lucky. I was very lucky and very fortunate. And, And, uh, and what's, 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 uh, what lies ahead for you? Um, well, now it's continuing to try and build the title reign. Um, yeah. I'd sell, you know, you look at the guys that held this before me, guys like Joe and Brian Danielson and Loki and Seth Rollins and, uh, you know, Davey Richards, Eddie Edwards. I think about Jerry Lynn as ROH. Jerry champion, Lynn, too. yep, Jerry Lynn. Um, yeah, and that, that stood out to me, too, because yeah. he won it late in his exactly. career as well. And, 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 and when he did, had some of the best matches of anybody in wrestling absolutely, at that age, absolutely. which is what you're doing absolutely. now, too. I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to. I, and I know, like, to be compared to Jerry Lynn in that respect is is a big chore because yeah. Jerry Lynn's one of the amazing. best ever, one of the yeah. best ever. And and if I if people look at me in that same light, then I'm completely honored because yeah. Jerry was another guy that uh, coming up was like, oh, this is the guy, this is the man. Sure. And how so, does your body feel right now, man? Um, it's a little sore. I mean, yeah. I won't lie; it takes me a while to get to get over big matches. But I mean, um, I'm a, I. I benefit from the fact that our schedule is is lighter than yeah. WWE schedule, and um, you know as long as I can stay healthy and yeah. avoid injury, as all of us you know struggle to do in pro wrestling, um, I, I've always wrestled the same way. I've wrestled smart. Yeah. I don't do things I don't think I can do. Try you to know. stay in your lane. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I tell guys all the time: if you can't do something ten times out of ten, don't risk it. Don't yeah. try and. Uh, don't try and be a hero. Don't try and you know make your name off of this crazy bump that you may or may not be able to do. I've always exactly. wrestled smart, and I, re- I I think that the guys who have the mentality of trying to do it for the long term, those are the guys that wrestle smart and 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 succeed because, like you said, stay in your lane, do what you do. People know me for certain things, and every once in a while I'll try something new, but it's not to change my game 100%. It's to add to the game that they've come to know. And then when someone buys a ticket to see Christopher Daniels, they know I'll do certain things. They know I'll go for certain things, and I want to give them the best Christopher Daniels match that I can, and that's my job at this point. And, and Chris, I... Something I noticed about you, and you can you can tell me if this is true or not. You just seem like you've always been a guy that's been healthy, taking care of yourself, never had like an issue with you know, with chemicals or that. And I I just um, I I don't know if that's no, the it's case, true. But it just seems no, like it. And it's it, true. And it, and it, and these are the things, man. Like when when you do it like you do, like. It just makes it so much easier to succeed. Yeah. Again, I I say I'm very fortunate because I've avoided big injury, you know, and that that usually is the doorway into the chemical stuff, like getting injured and trying to work through. I mean, I look at guys like you guys who who had the schedule, too. It wasn't just it wasn't just the injury, but the repetitiveness of it. Like you had the schedule, the grind. Sure. I never really had the grind. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I've been able to succeed for as long as I have, because I was never like the five times a week guy for a short period of time, like we were like two or three times a week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I 
I wanted that schedule, but I mean, in the in the long run, it benefited me to never get that schedule because now I'm still able to perform at a certain level for the schedule that I have. Um, but yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to avoid like even that neck injury that you saw. I never really went into a period of time where um, I, I needed to you know, mask the pain or, or, or get through the pain. Like I took the time off that I needed to. And then I adjusted my, my, my work so that I could continue to work injured when I was working injured. And then once I was healthy, I never did certain things again to avoid that injury again. So, I mean, it, it, it all was, um, it was sort of the plan. Like I understood if if I could avoid that injury and not risk, you know, the guys that go up and, and risk these big bumps, and and could get injured like i i knew what i could do every time and could continue to if i wanted to do something on monday i wanted to be able to do it every match i had that week rather than oh i can only do this bump sure. once every three months because i'll be hurt for two months yeah. after and you're and you, you i mean you're not you're not a guy that's known to be injury prone right that's right, just right. not one of your things and to me like what i notice about you and and this is this how i how i've been like I ne- my weight never fluctuated. I, I never put on a ton of weight or, or that. Like I try to stay, you know. All I wanted to be a big guy, like sure. you know. Sure. Yes, that's where you know I thought you a- needed to be. But like to me, like not carrying that extra weight has meant a lot as far as not getting hurt. Yeah, there was a period of time too where I was, you know, everybody like. 200 pounds was like the magic number for yeah. a lot of us at this at this weight. Just wanted to see 200 on yeah, the scale, exactly, right? exactly. And but I, there was a period of time where I was like 208 legitimate. Yeah. But I remember that period of time too. I would get tired real quick. My legs would feel weak, and my matches were suffering. And I realized, um, you know, the number's just a number. If That's I can right. go out there and wrestle. No one's no one is watching my matches going, oh, he's only 195 pounds or whatever. Sure. And so like I right around the time where I turned 40, I realized, okay, I need to train functionally. I need to be able to perform. I don't need to be um, you know, 240 and jacked and be That's able right. to lift. I don't need to deadlift 505 pounds. Mm-hmm. All I need to do is look like I belong in that ring and be able to wrestle like I belong in that ring. So I did a lot of stuff like um like P90X, the, yep. the, the, the full body functional training style stuff, just so I could continue to perform. And I, you know, I tried to not get fat and, and sure. uh, try and stay as cut as I could because I was never, I was never going to be tall enough to be a muscle guy. You know right. what I mean? Yep. I mean, even if I was 240, I would be 5'10 and 240, which would make me a, a fire plug. Yep. And so, like, me trying to be like uh, Jinder Mahal, who's super tall and super jacked now, like yep. I wouldn't have been able to get there. So to me, it benefited me more to be lean and and look look athletic rather than to be you know a, a, a professional bodybuilder. Yeah. Look, you know, I, I used to have a, an issue. Okay, when I was uh, WWE towards the end, mm-hmm. they used to have guys get on the scale and they'd weigh them. Really, and I'd always say no, not yeah, doing it. You're brutal, not paying me by the pound. What? A, yeah, exactly. And what a <laughs> and what a what a kick in the junk that must have right. been too for guys too. Like, hey man, you're doing great, but you're just 190 pounds. So off I, you go. And then like, I remember oh. I remember uh, Kurt Angle coming to me one time. He goes, "Can I talk to you?" Yeah. And I'm like, "What?" Well, he goes, "Yeah, of course." I, I'm, I'm like, "Yeah, of course." He goes, "Jr. He keeps telling me he wants me in uh, Olympic shape, and I, I'm, you know, like." I just that's that's not something you can be right. in all the time, right. man. Especially I'm, especially on the yes. schedule you guys had. How is like how difficult? It's that just must a silly thing to say. Exactly. And I just told him, I said, just just feel fine, man. Right. Just however you, it's gonna be fine. Like, yeah. 
to say, okay, yeah, yeah. And yes, sir, do I'll do it. Thing. And then yeah. continue to do what you're doing. Yeah, because I mean, when somebody said something like that, it's like, obviously, you might not know what you're talking about if you think that's healthy. They don't, yeah, they don't understand what it takes to They've stay never in the condition you are. Exactly. Right, right, right. Yeah. So. so, with everything you're doing in Ring of Honor now, what TV station would you think they would fit best on to be national exposure? Oh, man. Outside um, of being syndicated? Yeah. Do you see them on like a spike? It would be cool if it was a spike, but I mean that that all depends on the television station. I mean, I, I understand back in the day, Spike was was the uh, the man channel. They're not going like, to yeah, be they're, anymore. They're changing all that. Yeah, Anyways, they're, yeah. they're doing all that anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's a channel that is the answer for Ring of Honor because in this day and age, especially with the network, I wonder if it's an app that is the answer for mm-hmm. Ring of Honor to get an app. Um, like we're doing stuff with Fight TV now, yeah. where you can watch our television show on the Fight TV app. Um, we we air syndicated either Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that Monday on the Fight TV app, you can watch our show. I think and, it's going to. Uh, sorry, I mean no, no, no. I yeah. think it's going to be the thing. Yeah, I still think TV. Well, is we, yes, we do need. We absolutely do need television, and I think that um, we're looking into stuff like Comet. The, the Comet Channel is something that we're doing now, and we recognize that that's a very niche audience. And even the Comet guys, the people that watch Comet, don't necessarily want wrestling because it's a science fiction deal. But they're looking into another channel that is more like action movie style sure. thing, and that's what Ring of Honor is hopefully going to get on. And then hopefully, too, like there's always been talk of us growing into a two hour show. I hope that's the case. These are all things that we're talking about behind the scenes, not me personally. Because Why you know, do you I just fall down. Well, I mean, I, I think having two hours means you have enough real estate to show enough of your roster. Right now, it's tough. We have 44 minutes in an hour that we can get guys on. And if you've got, like, we looked at our roster and we've got like 35, 40 guys that are oh, talented okay. wrestlers yeah. that. You know, when you're trying to split 44 minutes among 40 wrestlers, you're not going to be able to get everybody over and get everybody established. So I hope that we get enough time to be able to show these guys that are talented and and still continue uh, to feature the guys that got us there. You know what I mean? Ring of Honor has always been about new guys coming through. Um, A lot of guys, this is their first uh, opportunity to be seen by a national television audience, a national wrestling fan base, and they're breaking through. Everybody's trying to, you know, you look at someone like Dalton Castle. Yeah. He's someone that has made his name in Ring of Honor, and if we continue to just focus on the stars and not give opportunities to guys like him to break through, um, you know, we're, we're going to be stagnant after That's a while. Right. And so having two hours, it gives us the opportunity to keep the guys on top that have been there, like Jay Lethal and Jay Briscoe and the Young Bucks, those guys that got us there, but also giving opportunities to guys like Dalton Castle and um, War Machine. Uh, Jay White and War Machine and um, Flip Gordon, a guy who just oh, yeah. joined our he's group. Awesome. Yeah, he's outstanding. I mean, we need to... Keep our stars and continue to feature them and give opportunities to young guys coming up to be the new stars of Ring of Honor because Christopher Daniels isn't going to last forever. Right. It feels like forever, TK. <laughs> it feels like I've been here forever. I understand that. But, I mean, at some point, I've got to hang it up. And we all, we you all mean know it feels that like you've been in the studio talking to us forever? <laughs> hey, man, I, like you said, I, we can talk for hours about this. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think... There's going to come a time where Jay Briscoe won't be at Ring of Honor. Jay Lethal won't be at Ring of Honor. Big, huge be. Jay Lethal fan right exactly, here, by the way. Exactly. Jay's amazing. The, he, he's the franchise of our company right he's now. He's the background man. of this oh company. God. And and I'm proud to 
work in a, in a ring with him. He's awesome. I'm about another guy. He's just a really, really good guy. And man. he uh, honestly, uh, we make this joke. Like when we got back to when we came into Ring of Honor, Frankie and I always joke, "Man, you've changed. You changed." But the truth is, he went from being just one of the guys to the locker room backbone, and and we saw that immediately when we got there because he had he left TNA in like 2011, and so from 2011 till 2014, he was doing Ring of Honor, and when we got there in 2014, I looked at him and I was like, "Holy crap, that's Ric Flair. That's yeah. Ric Flair of Ring of Honor. He's the backbone." And people go to him, and people look to him, and he's he's the man. And um, it, it's just benefited. He's benefited that company so much by being in the company. And, and yeah. that's one of the reasons why I think Ring of Honor is still successful. Any title uh, defenses coming up against Jay Lethal? Um, I actually defended the title against him in Australia two weekends ago and, and went had a great match. Just it, Again, it's an honor to be in there with him and be able to – It's. Something that I challenge myself, if I can go in there with a guy like Jay Lethal and still have a great match, that's how I know, okay, I'm still doing all right, man. I'm yeah. still doing all right. Jay doesn't have to like get into a lower gear to keep for me to keep up with him. I felt like he and I worked well together, and I wasn't, you know, I'm 47 years old. And so, like, I know that those days are coming short. Like, my bumps are, are slowly yeah. ticking down. But at the same time, if I keep myself healthy, if I keep myself... Uh, working at this level and and pushing myself to stay at that level with guys like Jay and Jay Briscoe and the Young Bucks, um, I'm going to continue to to be uh, a viable member of the Ring of Honor roster. And um, so, like next uh, the next title matches May 10th in Dearborn, Massachusetts, I defend against Matt Taven. And if I win that match, I go on to May 12th the War of the Worlds pay per view in a three way against Jay Lethal and Cody Rhodes. So, oh nice, yeah. Oh nice. man! Hey Jimbo. Yes. So, what oh, brother? Crap. <laughs> Before we let Chris, Chris go, go, go ahead, man. Have okay. at it. He's the so, wrestling geek question guy. I'm gonna hit you with that. it now. Hit me with a couple. So I know, outside of Ring of Honor and being the Ring of Honor World Champ, you have another job, working on the Waterworld show at Universal Studios. Correct. Can we talk about He's that? Been yes, we can. To talk to you. Oh yes. man, it's just when I found out you were like the head ripper. At the Waterworld show, I was like, this is amazing. We have to go see it. Yeah. So how did this come about? Okay. Um, well, Universal Studios Hollywood has had the Waterworld show for 21 years. Running. Yeah, it's the longest running stunt show. And it's one of the top rated stunt shows in the United States. Um, I auditioned for it two years ago and had to turn down the role they offered me because of a tour that I was on, mm-hmm. uh, a wrestling tour that I was on. But this year, I, I took a month off from wrestling and did the the audition again and got offered the role of deacon and um right now i'm one of the low guys on the totem pole like they have three or or they have five to six guys that fill every role so that they can have running running shows throughout the year and i'm one of the new guys but for me i was the rookie i was the rookie going into a set establishment and learning the stunts and learning the fights and doing the lines and uh, now I feel like I've done it for a year now, and I feel like they've respected my performances, and um, you know I'm moving my way up the ladder. And this is going to be something like once I'm done, one of the hard things I think is going to come from me retiring from wrestling is the idea that I love to perform. And I mean, when I get done wrestling, of course, I'll be involved in wrestling behind the scenes, but that's not going to scratch that performing itch. And I think this is one of the things that's going to make that okay for me to retire from wrestling is the idea of trying to 
branch off into acting, doing stunt work, doing something like that, trying to continue to be the center of attention because I'm a sucker for that. And, you know, the thing about performing is this, like, this is, well, maybe not this, but, you know, acting in front of the, you know, camera mm-hmm. and, you know, doing a TV show, that's perform. But, man, performing in front of a live audience. Yes. I mean, Best it's drug awesome. in the world. Exactly, exactly. I love it. I love it. And that's the thing, like... I think that's the toughest part of the idea that at some point I'm going to have to stop wrestling is that if I don't find some sort of venue to perform, I'm going to just go nuts. And when is that When is that time going to come? Uh, so far, I, I think it's close. I don't close. mean a, a time. Well, give me a date. No, I no, mean, no. Wh- what's it going to take for you to say, okay. When I'm, I'm not done. having fun and I'm hurt. Like when I'm hurt more often, like being bumps and bruised, like you at this point too, you've wrestled. I'm that's sure. an old familiar friend to me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, like... It's tough. It's tough walking up and down the stairs, but it's not so tough that I'm going to stop doing what I do. Right. Um, but I've always said when I stop having fun and if I can't perform at that level, like I was saying about Jay, like if there comes a time where guys have to like slow down and be like, "Hey, man, let's let's let the old guy keep up with us," then I'll know uh, it's a pride thing too. Like if I can't go out there and be proud of the work that I do, yeah. I'll walk away, man. I always said I didn't want to be here longer than I should. And I don't think anybody does. I think we, we we go in there wanting to continue to perform at our top level. And one day I'll find out I'm not there anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going gonna, it, gonna to take that, though, because I, I love it so much that I'm going to try and, you know, use my brain. And that's yeah. part of even the character that I am now, the ring general, the idea of using my mind because that's stronger than anything I've got. Uh, looking across the ring from me, you know what I mean. They might be stronger, they might be faster, they might be younger, but they're not smarter than me, and that's my, that's my game. Right. So, well, being forty-seven and all your years, twenty-four years plus in wrestling, two years older than me. Um, yeah. You don't. I've heard you say in interviews you don't think WWE is going to knock down your door no. to give you a contract, not to perform, not to no. perform. So and I get that. Would you be interested in going to the performance center and being a coach and a trainer? Uh, yeah, I mean, but. Yes, in the sense that, that I have no problem doing that. I'm sort of doing that same thing with Ring of Honor, and right now I'm very happy with the way Ring of Honor, like my relationship with that company. Um, you know, if that were to come up in the future, I, I certainly would examine that possibility. Um, but yeah, I, I'm under the impression that they're not looking for uh, 47-year-old rookies. Like when I was working with Bubba in TNA, and this was a couple of years ago. He he said, you know, you're you're not too old to wrestle there. You're just too old to debut there. Right. You know what I mean? If I had if I had been there before and I was coming back, I'm sure the door would be. Open. I disagree. I think you're, I think there I think there's a place for you there if they if they if they if they ever realize it. I, well, I mean, I I feel like even years ago, I remember Austin Aries telling me that they told him he was too old, yes. and he was like thirty yes. 36, 37 at that point. I'm like crap, and I'm however many years older than him and I remember Adam Pierce going through the same thing like oh man we'd love to but you're too old and you know that's just the mentality I understand when WWE looks at a talent they're looking at a talent as something that they can invest in over a long period of time and um, you know so I, I understand like I if they were to call me one day and be like hey no we changed our mind or we we think you would be great in this position I would certainly consider that but my my experience tells me that that's their mentality, and until it changes, I have to be okay with that. Or it changes I, a little. I mean, it it changes when it's convenient. Yes, exactly. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah. And if, if that were the case, then yeah, I would I would certainly consider that. Yeah, but at the same time, like I said, I'm very happy. Like I, I I can't conceive of a scenario right now where 
WWE offering me a, a performer's contract would be better or beneficial in terms of like how Ring of Honor has been treating me. So, you know, I, I've, I've never said never. The door's I mean? always open. It's yeah, always yeah, there. Yeah. I mean, you know, si- situations change on a dime in professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. You know this. So, I mean, I've never said no, I'll never do that. But I, I sort of am comfortable with the idea that it probably won't. And I'm okay with that, you know. I sleep well at night knowing that, that's, that things have gone this way. Hmm. So, Changing gears. You want to be a dad? I'm a dad already, man. Oh, you are? Oh, yeah, How come yeah. I don't know this? I don't know. Two I don't know. kids, right? I, I have two. They're like teenagers. Tell I'm, me about that my daughter, you go real quick, Okay, man. my daughter is 13 years old, uh, Jerrica, and my son Joshua is 11. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, but, I mean, well, we don't get a chance to talk right. very often either. I mean, I mean, more than, hey, how's it going? And when I mean, we were around each other back then, I wasn't really, like, you know, I was right. in a different place. Right, so. right, right. So, I mean, yeah, my uh, we had kids uh, 2003, 2005. Um, but that's it. We did. We I got one of each, so I did my part for the human race. <laughs> that was all we needed. Um, but yeah, they're 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 growing up great. Uh, my daughter's in eighth grade. She's a dancer and an actress, an aspiring actress. Um, my son, uh, he's a pain in the ass, but it, uh, probably because I got it. I got it coming. I I was the, I was the pain in the ass. So uh-huh. it's my uh, it's life's revenge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My wife and my my mom. They're both like, oh, he's you, he's you. Does he ever hit you with some of your lines? Like, one for me. No, he hasn't yet. He hasn't yet. So he's gonna. He probably has to watch more YouTube of me to get his. He's like, and that's the gospel. (laughs) Anything for Chris TK? Um. So, like, like you've said a lot, a lot, a lot that you've been in the the game for a long time. Do you have any like favorite matches? Like, you know, when you do retire, you just kind of think back. Like that was a really great memorable match yeah absolutely and I don't have one more than the other because it's sort of like saying which one's your favorite kid or mm-hmm. which one's your like, favorite color what's your yeah, favorite color yeah <laughs> um, you know I, I'm always going to go back to uh, the first three way I did with AJ and Joe at TNA because I think that has stood the test of time and it affected people uh, the the fans of TNA it, it like they look back on that as like the glory days of TNA yep. that to me that to me says something like that was something that TNA could have been mm-hmm. if they had gone full bore on that um, we just recently did Ladder War with the Young Bucks and the Motor City Machine yes. Guns mm-hmm. and Frankie and I'm completely proud of that knowing that I went in there at 46 years old and and I went in there with like a mission like I wanted to show people like Frankie and I deserve to be in that main event spot too and we went in there and we literally bled for that spot both of us and um i'm i'm completely proud of that match as well it's probably one of my favorite ring of honor matches um you know but i've had i've been lucky like working with joe and aj and the young bucks and um eddie edwards over my period of time and and loki and brian danielson like i've been fortunate to be a guy that a worked with some of the greats before they were great or before yep. they got as famous as they have been or mm-hmm. are and then being a part of two different companies at their beginnings like people look at me as someone that helped build TNA and someone that helped bring, build Ring of Honor and I don't know if there's another wrestler that has that sort of history with both companies like I do so I'm very lucky and I, I feel like when I look back on my career I feel like I've done a good amount of stuff you know oh, I may yeah. never have gotten that WWE um, you know that that period of time in WWE, like a lot of guys get, but right. I, I feel like I've done a good amount for pro wrestling. You know, oh, oh yeah, man. So 
Can so yeah, you? man. Yeah, and if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have. I would never have done it. So oh, if it wasn't me, it'd have been somebody else. No, Come well, on, I tell. I said it. Uh, <laughs> I just it got. A, I got a. Uh, I got an award at uh, Cauliflower Alley, and I realized as I was going over my stuff, I was like, man, if it wasn't for him, I probably would have, you know, been a comic book short, uh, comic book shop owner. So, you know, a lot of it has to do with you. And, and and I say this too, and again, not blowing smoke because it's your show, but anybody. Anybody from the 90s, 2000, that wrestles in that light heavyweight, cruiserweight style, they owe a debt of thanks to you because you, to me, were the first guy that proved it was possible for guys like us to make it. So, I mean, thanks, uh, you, yeah, you should start lining up thank these you. guys to come in here and just sit in this chair and go, Sean, Blow thank you so much. Fuck yeah, feel it's, well, it's your show, man. <laughs> Let's change this to the Blow Smoke Up Sean's ass show. <laughs> You know? Well, speaking of comic books, you're a comic book guy. I am a comic book guy, yeah. I, um, this is the second book I wrote. Uh, I wrote uh, two books with the guys from Aya Comics, uh, Art Baltazar and Franco. They're Eisner Award-winning uh, creators that have worked with DC and Dark Horse Comics. But this is uh, the, the second book, Aya Comics Team-Up Number 1. Um, uh, we sell these at aiacomics.com, their website, and then at Ring of Honor. ROHWrestling.com and Ring of Honor shows live. Um, just it, this was something uh, I wrote a comic book. These guys, Art and Franco, they're yeah. all ages comics. They do stuff for younger kids, and I had the idea of writing a comic book for a wrestling show because you know at shows you've been to indie shows. Most of the merchandise is DVDs and T-shirts yeah. for that 18 to 34 year old. So I wanted something for that 10 year old, that 12 year old, that six year old, that eight year old. And so I wrote this comic book with their characters, Awesome Bear, Action Cat, Adventure Bug, that uh, you know a seven, eight, nine, nine year old could read, and it's um, you know completely appropriate, and it's and it's about me and Frankie. And, uh, you know, so if I could get them, if getting this comic book gets them more interested in our wrestling, great. If getting this comic book gets them interested into comic books, great. Um, you know, and we're always out there like, hey, promote reading. This is a comic book, you know. There's yeah, more, this is more interesting than an 8 by 10 of me, although they're both great because I'm on it. Uh, you know what I mean? And just so, to I mean, be able to hold it in your hand instead of looking I, at it on a screen. Yeah, yeah. And, you know? and yeah. the thing, too, like for me... This was another, like, the idea of performing. This is something I created. And, I mean, if this is the only two books that I've ever written, I'll still go to my grave knowing I wrote a comic book and it got published That's and right. people bought it. Well, that was something I was going to ask you. So you grew up a Marvel fan. Yes. So you're a huge Marvel fan. Completely and then to become huge. friends with the people at Marvel and yeah. then make your own comic book, just keep checking those things off the bucket list. Yes, that's yeah? exactly it, man. I still read. I'm still an avid Marvel Comics reader. And um, you know, being able to meet some of the guys, some of the writers, some of the artists, and know that they're wrestling fans. Like, There's a huge comic book and wrestling crossover because I feel like it's the same sort of storytelling. Like Every month there's new comics. Every week yeah. there's a new wrestling show. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we're 365 days a year wrestling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, our stories, us going for titles and having feuds with our enemies, that's ongoing story. And it's the same thing in comic books. Every month, there's the superheroes and the villains. And I tell people, the closest you're ever going to get to real-life comic books is pro wrestling. We're, we're real-life superheroes, whether we're high flyers or brawlers or you know, yeah. super strong, whatever it is. We're, we're the comic book heroes of real life. Yeah, man. I love it. Yes. Well, 
I mean, I, I could keep going, but... Comic book. No, no. <laughs> like, I don't want to keep him another we two hours. Tap out <laughs> <laughs> I, I, part two's coming soon. Tell everybody that you want me back. Actually, I'll come and talk to Sean anytime. Actually, oh, we could definitely do a part two, oh, yeah. man. We anytime, dude. Hey, man, I'm, I live Maybe here. we can come to you. Oh, no, man. This is You've got a great studio. The studio in my house looks like crap. So, nice. man, I've got a, I've got well, a garage. Nice, it looks like crap. I've right. got a garage. I've got a garage. You don't want to come in there with my, my uh, washer and dryer and my comic book collection out there. Let's just come to your studio. It's... Air conditioned and very lovely. So Lu- luxurious. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I love this place. Yeah, man. Anytime you guys want me back, I would love to come back. Thanks, man. Chris, so grateful that you uh, agreed to come here and give us some of your time, man. My pleasure. Thank My you pleasure. so Thank much, you guys. man. Thank I'm you. such a huge fan of yours. Uh, Reciprocal, man. Professionally always, and always. as a human being, dude, doesn't get much better than that. My pleasure, man. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Appreciate Thank you, TK. No problem. Thank, Thank you, you so for much. coming. Yes, man. Uh, what do you got going on that you want to plug um, other the, than your comic? Yeah. Yeah. The War of the Worlds tour is this week. Um, we're in Toronto this coming Sunday, May. Hold on, May seventh. May 7th, we're in Toronto. May 10th, we are in Dearborn, Massachusetts. Or Michigan. Michigan. Dearborn, Michigan. Okay. Uh, May 12th, we're in Hammerstein Ballroom, New York City, the nice. World of the World's pay-per-view. And then uh, May 14th, we're in the former ECW arena for television taping. So that's the, the War of the Worlds tour, the stars of New Japan, pro wrestling, and Ring of Honor wrestling. Um, I'll, de- I'll be defending the title twice. Unless I lose the first time, but that's not going to happen. I mean, let's be honest. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm on top He's the right ring now. So. I am the ring general. You already know the finish? Oh, thanks, man. Thank, thank you, you, guys. So thank much, you so Chris. much, and thanks for people watching this, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Cool. Well, we'll be right back, and uh, we'll close things up here on X-Pac 1, 2, 3, 60. Hey guys, Maria Menounos here. We want to let you know about my new show on Sirius XM Stars Channel 109. It's called Conversations with Maria, and it's live Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Go to conversationswithmaria.com for more info. Buzz you later. All right, we're back, and that was a great interview, obviously. Such a great They're all great interviews. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Yeah, put put them all over, Sean. Make sure to watch all of our, (laughs) our previous episodes on After Buzz TV on YouTube. Yeah. Definitely. So, and iTunes. Listen to yeah, that too. Man. Well, I appreciate everybody tuning in, as always. And uh, I know there's some things that I want to talk about before we go off the air. Our, our, our guest next week. I'm excited to have him. I haven't talked. Unfortunately, it was um, it was at Mike Awesome's funeral the last time I saw Sean Stasiak. But uh, he's agreed to come on the show and be our guest next week. Very cool. Dr. Sean Stasiak. Dr. Dr. Sean yes. I'm sorry, Sean, if you're listening. <laughs> and uh, Sean is a second-generation wrestler, and his, his father was Stan the Man Stasiak. He was former WWF world champion, WWWF. And uh, um, I'm looking forward to talking to yeah, Sean. Some interesting lot, yeah. stories. A lot there. of interesting very, stories are going to come up interesting. for sure. Yeah. So, and uh, other than that, we have the next... Uh, by popular demand, we have the next Get High and Watch Wrestling show at CineFamily on Fairfax in Hollywood with uh, myself and my dear friend Ron Funches. May 26th. May 26th, yes. I believe it's 10 o'clock. I'm not, I think it's 10 o'clock. At night? I think so. Whew. Yes. Okay. When do you think of it? 10 in the morning? I was hoping, like, you know. It's not get up and watch evening. wrestling, it's get high and watch wrestling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wake and bake, whatever. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You, you guys, you have any uh, matches already planned for it, or are you still looking through? Uh, there, we have some stuff that that we've talked about. Jimbo's helping us with the video. Jimbo's going to make the video. Yeah, I'm putting it together. Yeah, got some ideas. It's going to flow nicely. Yeah, I hope so. Oh, it will. Definitely not going to be as long of clips this time. Oh, I'm good. Try and chop it up. Yeah. But. 
So, all righty then. And uh, am I missing anything? Okay. Also, yeah, this Saturday, once again, I want to thank Pinfall Wrestling for bringing me in to Pawnee, Illinois. And is there a website for them? There is, but it's not updated. Okay. Is there Twitter? I don't know about their Twitter, but their Facebook and their website were pretty outdated. Okay. So they, they, they do still use their Facebook despite it being outdated. I, I did check their page earlier today. Okay. To well, anyways, I'm, I'm really uh, looking forward to coming to, to Pawnee, Illinois this weekend. Are you going to try and get your gear back before then? I sure as hell hope so because oh, it's boy. not just my gear. It's like all my favorite clothes as oh, well. Oh, no. Gosh. Yeah. It's everything you packed in a suitcase. You know, that's what I, it's, when you go to Europe, you never know what's going to happen. And when you go anywhere, so when I go somewhere far from home, I bring a lot of stuff. You know, I've 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 I've, I've uh, condensed it down in uh, recent years since you know they charge oh. for check bags oh, yeah. and all that, uh, and and that. But still, I bring as much stuff as I can cram into a uh, into a suitcase. Definitely. All right. Well, enough. I've talked enough. <laughs> This week, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, want to thank you, Jimbo, thank you. TK, thank you, and you, Mark. Oh, thanks, Sean. Very grateful to y'all, and uh, very grateful to all you people out there listening and watching. Uh, we'll see y'all next week, right here on Xbox One Two Three Sixty. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Phil Svitek, Kevin Undergaro, show producer Jimbo Frank, managing editor of AfterBuzz Wrestling, Christy Olson, and managing producer of AfterBuzz Wrestling, Mark Bidonica, and the entire X-Pac 12360 staff, we would like to thank you for tuning in. Feel free to like us on Facebook, rate and comment on iTunes and YouTube, follow X-Pac on Twitter at TheRealXPOC, and email us at xpoc12360show at gmail.com. This has been a presentation of the AfterBuzz TV network. Buzz you later!